Hello, and welcome to Talkie Talk, the podcast for the MediaBias.com. Today, I am joined by Brent. Hello. TJ. Hi. David. What up? And I'm Chris. And today, we're going to talk about our year-end business. Uh, we, we put it off as long as we could to try and see as many movies as possible. And then this week, I don't know if most of us went and tried to rush out to fill in those gaps. Maybe I'll be surprised. Um... But yeah, so we're going to go through our favorite movies of the year, our least favorite movies of the year, and then I always have some weird lists, so I'm going to give you my weird list, and now. Uh, I know some of you guys have seen some of these, but I watched a bunch of stand-up specials this year. Uh, most of my time spent consuming media is watching podcasts by comedians or something in that vein, so I've got my ear a little lower to the ground, and so this year... I want to give you my top five stand-ups. Nice. Yay. Yeah, I'm excited. Let me know if you've seen any of these, and we can talk about them. Uh, TJ, one that might interest you, and coming at my number five spot, I've got Mike Birbiglia's new set, The New One, is what it's called. I and, sadly have not seen it. Yeah. yeah. Is this it, him talking a lot about being a parent? Yes. I've seen that. Yeah. I saw it last week. It was great. Yeah. I thought it was really good. It's a, you know, it's basically any Mike Birbiglia stand-up set is going to be... Uh, like a TED Talk yeah, uh, <laughs> about some stage of Mike Birbiglia's life. About Mike Birbiglia, yeah. yeah. Uh, and this one's good. I, I heard it described as the perfect argument for people who want to be a parent and people who are a parent who hate it or love it and people who don't want kids. So it kind of comes at uh, the idea of child rearing from a uh, funny enough perspective that people are allowed or are going to divorce themselves from their status and kind of reinforce their opinions about all of it. Nice. Um, from his weird perspective. Uh, I think the funniest bits in it are when he talks about his uh, his sleepwalking and all of the adaptations he's had to make. Mm -hmm. uh, I won't give any of these away because retelling a joke by someone much funnier doesn't work. <laughs> right. All right, number four. I got recommended to me because it was on Vulture's top ten of the year. And I really liked it. Uh, not something that I would have checked out originally, but I saw Lil Rel Howery's uh, Live in Crenshaw. Hmm. It's my number four. I don't even know who that is. You do. It's the TSA agent from uh, Get Out. Oh, cool. And the brother from the brother father from Britney Runs Marathon. Right. Uh, bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, character actor, you would call him now, but he's originally a stand up. Um, it is a really. It's funny. Primarily, but it is a really interestingly shot special. It is shot in like a boys and girls club or like a YMCA gymnasium, hmm. like while the sun is setting in Crenshaw. And so, so the lighting is like crazy and like, it's not like a traditional like theater shot. He's like up on like a small platform working the stage and it's just really cool. I haven't seen a, a standard special shot like that. Yeah, check that out. Yeah, that sounds awesome. It's good. It's on HBO, I think. Cool. Not 100%. But live in Crenshaw. My number three. Yes. Netflix produced. Uh, Jenny Slate's stand-up, Stage Fright. Uh, if you're a fan of Jenny Slate... Uh, in doses. Yeah. Um, you will like this. It is very self-deprecating. I mean, the whole thing is kind of about her complexes. When it comes to performing and being an actress um, and how nervous she is. But it is shot kind of... This is like the new stand-up special style where it's kind of half or part documentary, mm -hmm. part stand-up. 
And so there's a lot of like footage of her as a kid, like home videos and stuff. And then her and interviewing her mom and her sisters. Hmm. Um, and it's really cool. I didn't, wasn't really exposed to much of Jenny Slate other than, you know, the stuff I'd seen from her and like Parks and Rec and other comedic TV roles. Yeah. Some movie roles. Um, but I really liked it. And she's funny. She's got a, a fun sense of humor. Uh, very manic energy. My number two, Nate Bargatze's Tennessee Kid. Anyone hmm. see this one? No. I hadn't, but Vulture does a Good Ones podcast where like comedians break down a joke, and he was really great on that. I heard about it, heard about him from that. I never heard of him before. He was really funny, and uh, he does a. I'm not going to retell a joke, but really good joke about seeing a dead cow or something like, and then going to hike up a mountain. Yeah, is that from that special? Yes, it is. Nice. It's a really funny breakdown of that. Yeah, it's um. He has a very dead, dead horse. <clears throat> yeah, it's a dead, dead horse. horse. Yeah. Um, he has a very, uh, deadpan approach. Um, and there were a couple this year in that same vein. Like I know Jesslyn special that almost made my list, uh, fire in the maternity ward. Uh, but Nate Bargatze has an earnestness in the way that he tells stories that I really appreciate. He's also that blend between storyteller and joke teller Mm -hmm. that I like, uh, where it, it doesn't feel like you're building and building 10 minutes, 15 minutes before you get to the punchline. Um, and it's not just like joke, 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 joke. Like, uh, mm-hmm. I, I watched Eliza Scherzinger's and really didn't care for it. Um, I, I, I really liked him and I know that he is primarily, I know he's primarily a stand up, but you would, you would know him from credits in writing. Um, I don't have it in front of me, but he's a pretty prolific comedy writer. Cool. Um, but Tennessee kid, I really liked it. And my number one and what I spend a lot of time watching these days uh, is uh, related to this is a Dan Soder special Son of a Gary. I think that the dude is just fucking hilarious. One of the hardest working comedians out there. Um, if you don't, if you have Showtime and you watch the show Billions, he plays the act. He plays the character Mafi. Uh, but no one really watches that here, so <laughs> I don't know. But he's also on a podcast with Big J Okerson. Um, but yeah, just it's like standard. Standard stand up. Yep. HBO. Really good. Yep. He even got the like classic like nineteen seventies HBO intro with like the camera going through LA like over the hill. (laughs) Nice. They had like a show. Yeah. I forget what it was called. Um, But yeah, he's just really good. Really like whip smart. Tells a lot of stories about uh, um, the the concept of son of a Gary is because his stepdad or was named Gary and the guy on the podcast, The Bonfire, who he, which he co-hosts, his stepdad was also called Gary, so they had this running joke on there that, like, if you've got kind of a deadbeat stepdad, you're a son of a Gary. Um, but tells a lot of, like, dead dad jokes in, like, a really, like, funny and light, but still, like, kind of touching way, and it's uh, almost like a love letter to his uh, living mom, too, even though she was, you know, an alcoholic, his dad was an alcoholic. Kind of tell some fun stories about being the child of an alcoholic parent. Um, but, yep, Dan Soder, the number one talkie talk, stand up special of the year since no one else saw anything. Nice. I know you guys saw stuff, but like Aziz Ansari's right right now was like, it was okay. Um, I watched Ronnie Chang's, it was fine. Michelle Wolf's good, but you can only take so much of Michelle Wolf. And then, uh, what's that woman, her, Nanette, maybe? Is that her name? Hannah Gadsby. That was, yeah. that was that's the name of the special. Is yeah, it? but it's Hannah Gadsby's. Hannah Gadsby, and that was that's sort of like, 
blurred the lines of what a, what stand-up is, even, a yeah. little bit. I mean, it, it was both stand-up comedy and also a very serious monologue. Was that this year or last year? I think, last think year? that was last year, Oh, too. really? Wow, okay. Been, 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 been a long around. year. Oh. <laughs> um, but yeah, great stand-up these days. With Netflix... Uh, and HBO still gunning, and then uh, you know your your more traditional routes. I don't know. People like self releasing. It's been been a good year. Cool. Thanks. I hadn't even heard of Dan Soder, so yeah, appreciate the recommendation. Yeah, though. yeah. yeah. Check some of these out. Check them out, especially after uh, Oscars are over. It's great to cleanse the palate. A it is. Bit. Yeah, great for that. Especially yeah. if you've watched the the documentary shorts, <laughs> you're gonna need to laugh. Yeah. You need to remember what that's like. <laughs> what is laughter? <laughs> um, so then before we get to our top ten, uh, we like to have a little fun and do our bottom five movies we watched this year. Does everyone come prepared with the bottom five? Yes. Yes. Eat shit, film industry. <laughs> <laughs> Try harder. All right, David. Well, since you are the, uh, the, the, the list master, I'm going to just let you start on this one. Do you want to just do five in a row? Sure. Here? Yeah. Okay. Makes it, uh, and I'll do my disclaimer as I try to avoid bad movies. Actively. So these probably aren't the worst movies of the year, but I guess of the movies I saw, they're probably on, at the bottom. Um, probably? Probably. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, I'll probably go number five, High Flying Bird, Steven Soderbergh movie. Some people really like this movie. Um, I see it as just a missed opportunity. It's like uh, the... It's all about player empowerment and the NBA, and I should have loved it and didn't. I don't really think it did anything with that. He's such a hit or miss director. It really like, is, yeah. Extremes possible <laughs> with him. Yeah, I'll, I'll combo that into my number four is also for Netflix, also Soderbergh, The Laundromat. I wanted it to be good. <laughs> bad year for Soderbergh. Again, wanted, a good year last year. <laughs> yeah, I wanted it to be good so bad. Um, interesting, you know, about the, uh, the Panama Papers came out that insurance companies are in league with, you know, making fake companies and being underwritten by giant conspiracy and Meryl Streep's in it. And then it is not really narrative at all. And <laughs> yeah, story. stop me if you've heard this one, but he gets experimental with it. <laughs> um, Parts of it are, are interesting, but it's just like, it's so anthologized that it is just, it's more, it'd probably be better as like a short series than a movie. Hmm. Um, number three, I'd probably go Late Night. Um, again, it's a charming movie, but it's yeah. kind of a trifle. I guess I was probably more excited about it, having like loved hearing about like, you know, SNL and Late Night Host how the writers' rooms work, how they put stuff together. It doesn't really do... doesn't do that at all. Yeah. No. And it is so self-indulgent in the fantasy that it creates for its genius comedian, like, talk show host. Yeah. yeah. It's just, like, completely unbelievable in a movie that's trying to be so grounded. Right. It is. It's and like, just, what is this world yeah. that this movie lives in? Right. And not that that's a bad thing for, like, rom-coms and stuff, but, I don't know. He tries to have, have it both ways. Yeah. Uh, my number two, again, disappointed, probably better as a short Netflix series, is uh, Between Two Ferns, the movie. Um, <laughs> nice. I guess it's... I didn't know anybody watched that. Its <laughs> ceiling was probably never going to be that high. It's best in, like, 90-second doses, and it stretches that out to, like, an hour and a half. It makes a narrative about it, and uh, I guess I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> I wanted a narrative in the laundromat, but not in this one. <laughs> um, some of the interviews are, are fun and funny. Good one with David Letterman. Yeah. Um... Full, full beard recluse and everybody hating Galifianakis and a lot of people are game but I don't think there's much there um, 
much there. Yeah. Um, and number one with uh, a bullet, I'm going to say thousands of them, is uh, Triple Frontier. Nice. <laughs> 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 This is a fucking slog. <laughs> I think I still stand by my letterbox review that it's like a, a two-hour Ben Affleck back tattoo. I like that you watched one that at least two of us just avoided completely. Like this movie's too bad for us. I know. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I watched it. I heard like some people like loved it, like old school, like '90s action movie. And then uh, spoiler alert: they just carry around a dead body for like an hour. <laughs> but Brent, you saw it, right? Triple Frontier. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I um, saw it, too. Okay, well, I'm the only smart one. <laughs> and that's my five. Nice. Nice. Well, Brent, do you want to go? Sure, I'll go. Uh, number five, Velvet Buzzsaw. Fuck that movie. Number four. Fair. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, number four, um, Men in Black International. <laughs> you could have gone in so many good directions of this movie. I mean, but they all involve they, America. They 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 bring they uh, they bring back Men in Black at a time when like you know being an alien is is a very you know hot button topic, mm-hmm. and they just completely uh, avoid all that and just make it the most generic ass plot you've ever heard of. So, yeah, I, I thought I thought that we were going to Naruto run into Area 51 this year and Men in Black International blew it. Yeah. Uh, number three is Triple Frontier. <laughs> Yay. Did not like that movie. It's a, it's actually a really pretty movie. The, like, the cinematography is great and somehow they managed to make that movie incredibly boring. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also have like problems with Star Wars the way I have problems with that movie. If that movie were all paced and shot and directed the way that the actual like house siege was then it would have been a fantastic action movie Mm -hmm. but it's not that (laughs) number two the laundromat yeah i despise that movie i I believe my review of that movie was the big shark and number one only because uh only not on your list because you didn't watch it was uh the netflix original tall girl uh yeah y'all hated that movie tall girl uh is the story of a girl whose life is real tough because she's Five foot eleven and, and pretty <laughs> and, and very pretty. Yeah. So she's got to deal with not being three inches shorter. Yeah. Life's well, hard. Yeah. Tall girl falls on its face. <laughs> TJ. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're gonna review movies from Rolling Stone now. T- t- Talkie Talk's worst joke of this podcast. <laughs> that one. We'll beat it. <laughs> TJ five is a movie that. Was uh, pretty well received. I wouldn't say like critical acclaim, but it's definitely got higher scores. And I don't understand them, but it's uh, the kid who would be king was super fucking bored by that movie. Yeah, and you were bummed. You were a little excited too because it was getting good reviews. Yeah. And it's Andy Serkis's kid is the lead, and he just—I uh, mean, maybe he'll be fun one day, but lacked the charisma. Andy Serkis, more like Carnival Sideshow. <laughs> let y'all make the bad jokes. One Keep it out, Serkis. <laughs> uh, uh, Patrick Stewart was pretty good in that, but that's about the only good thing about that movie. Uh, number four, Velvet Buzzsaw. I uh, agree with Brent. Fuck that movie. It sucked. <laughs> it had one interesting thing, and they somehow made it not interesting. Like, they look, they went out of their way to make it not interesting. What is art? Uh, number three, might be on Christmas list. Six Underground, a Netflix movie. Uh, it has two charismatic characters uh, for the first five minutes, and then it kills Dave Franco. <laughs> they get rid of one. Uh Number two, uh, Dark Phoenix was the worst movie of most years, except for this year when Pet Cemetery came out, which is my number one. 
tinged with disappointment. Yeah. That one. They came up with the scariest story of all time and took all the fear out of it. Exactly <laughs> what you want in a horror movie. Make it not scary. <laughs> well, we'll bury that list and move on to mine. <laughs> yep. All right. Uh, number five. Movie I saw early in the year. Uh, I was also debilitated by an injury, and this was the first movie I saw during that, and I wanted to get out. It's Escape Room. <laughs> Uh, I keep calling that movie Panic Room because it gives me anxiety thinking about it. <laughs> um, no, it's just a really, really shitty movie with an interesting premise that doesn't execute. Uh, it turns out to be a conspiracy, and this is going to have a hostile-like uh, series following, I am assuming. Nice. There's going to be an escape room, too, and it's going to be this dumb corporation that existed in the first one. Don't see it. It sucks. Uh, my number four... It's a movie that I wish I liked more, but it just kind of fell flat at every opportunity. Was Stuber, yeah. um, just kind of all the all the funny moments are too far apart and just not well earned. Uh, the hard nosed cop and uh, dragged along sidekick is just you know. It's so trite that I feel like they could have borrowed from someone else to get some better jokes in it, but they just couldn't. Man, two like great comedic performances from those people in the past couple of years. So. Yep, unfortunate. Uh, number three is uh, the dirt uh, that really. Oh fuck! I forgot oh, that movie existed. God. That the really, Motley Crue movie. The really shitty Motley Crue biopic that <laughs> Motley Crue executive produced. Uh, it is just the most masturbatory, stupid fucking movie. There were two movies, two movies worse than this. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. People from my hometown love that movie. That is a great like barometer. What's it called? The dirt. Set. The yeah. dirt. Okay. When it has the Motley Crue stamp of approval. Can you believe those guys had sex with hookers? <laughs> That's what that movie is. Uh, the second worst movie of the year is Cats. Uh, <laughs> oh, second. It is uh, still confusing how someone can love the musical as much as my wife does and still just kind of hate this movie. Um, it was unsurprisingly bad, but I still think that it is remarkable in that I need to tell people that it is earnestly bad and not, like, ironically something to go and enjoy, because it's not that. Uh, and then the worst movie of the year, uh, Netflix original, uh, it's Tall Girl. Hey! 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 Watch Tall Girl. Tall Girl is <laughs> such an abortion of an idea. <laughs> like, how I, did this get past the planning stage? Some because there were six executives in a room, and they were all women, and they were all over like five foot ten, and they were all like, "Isn't it hard?" And they were all like, "Well, I guess we don't need to pitch this to anyone else." <laughs> Greenlight it. Let's go. It was either that or is it like a boardroom full of men who were just like, does everybody else hate tall women? <laughs> they should all be 5'9". <laughs> know their place. <laughs> you may be giving Netflix too much credit. I think it's just like a server you just upload movies to. <laughs> it's, like a, it's like SoundCloud. It was one of the ones written movies. by like the 300 monkeys and typewriters. Yeah. <laughs> they finally wrote a movie. It was a tall girl. It's like, they got one. They actually did one. Put it out. Maybe it's Shakespeare. It's fucking not. Tall Girl is awful. I feel bad for the actress who leads, who's the lead in it, because... Yeah, plus she's tall. Life is so hard. That's why I feel bad. I feel bad for her. Um, I don't know how people go through life being tall. Five foot eleven. Yeah, she might be six like, one. There are like know, there are like eight people that were eight girls in my high school taller than me, and I went to a small high school. There are three people in this room who are taller than that. <laughs> what about girls? <laughs> yeah, I think the tallest girl in my middle school was five foot eleven in like sixth grade, 
And this, and she continued to grow taller. I would have seen this movie if they would have. She seemed fine. <laughs> she, she's happy now. Yeah. <laughs> I would have watched this movie if they would have made her like Robert Ludlow right now. <laughs> like nine foot tall. That's what I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be that. <laughs> and then it's just like. Because oh, that's a movie. She's just. This is not a movie. Tall. It, yeah, it'd be like uh, you know, she's four inches above average. <laughs> a better title would be "Kind of Tall Girl." <laughs> she's not even like that tall. It's the geostorm problem. <laughs> yeah. She is that's a girl. Though. That's why I hated the laundromat. <laughs> no laundromats. <laughs> Nobody washes their clothes. But so that's the part where we shit on movies. Yeah, I guess Pet Cemetery at least had a Pet Cemetery. They didn't leave that part. delivered. Yes. I mean... I guess there's a triple frontier. <laughs> what does that even mean? I don't know. There's yeah. one frontier. <laughs> yeah, the rest of my bottom five kind of match up. Well, there was definitely no Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> in Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> no. That would make no idea what it was. was. The yes. audience is the Velvet Buzzsaw. We yeah. are the Velvet... Yeah. yeah. Dave Bautista spends the whole movie calling Stu the Uber driver Stuber, which is where they get that clever title. Oh, fun. It's pretty good. Yep. <laughs> that drink opening signals the end of the bottom five movies of the year. Don't go see any of those unless you don't listen to your uh, podcast co-hosts like me. Did now, you see Tall Girl after I saw Tall Girl? No. Oh, okay. You we we both talked about it on that watch list. We had both just serendipitously watched it, and then we talked about it, and we were like, Ugh. I saw Tall Girl, and you're like, I saw Tall, tall Girl. <laughs> we both had just bad instincts that we... Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on. In a serious way, because we don't like to just shit on movies here. As much as we have fun doing it, uh, we're here. The real business here is to talk about our top tens of the year. Yay! Um, David has divined an order. Yes. And as leader of the list, you are now in charge of this podcast. I'm retiring from it. Cool. Just this episode, though. So, kicking off this list at... Doing his number, I was ready. David, you're fired. <laughs> Brent's gonna start with his number ten. We're gonna all do our number tens, and then uh, we'll kick it to another person to jump off the first number nine, all the way down, keeping us suspense for our number ones. Sweet. Nice. Well, we're gonna start this countdown with a movie about a countdown. Whoa! Didn't Whoa. expect that, did you? No. Uh, this is a documentary. It's my favorite documentary of the year, and it is a very simple documentary. It's a pure documentary, if you will. It has no uh, insight of its own, really. It is just a, it is documenting an event in history, and it's uh, Apollo Eleven. Yeah, it's really weekend. good, and it is uh, incredible footage, uh, synced up with tapes of audio um, from uh, 1969, and it is a very straightforward presentation of of the Apollo Eleven mission, and it is gripping. And really, really interesting to watch. Um, for someone like me who was not born yet at that time. so That um, goes for all of us. Yeah. Well, you never know. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, we, my wife and I watched it on July 20th, I believe. Mm. And so uh, we, we, it was thoroughly entertaining. Anniversary. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we watched it on the 50th anniversary. You idiot. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, I remember oh, every day oh. of my life, Chris. <laughs> so you, we're going to get 10 different dates? You remember that well? July 20th, you know, I had eggs that day. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, anyway, it's it's not a very complex movie to talk about. It's just a... I'll, I'll push back a little bit, but also agree with you. I think I think it's uh, is a doing a, something that documentaries stopped doing. 
even though that's kind of like classic documentary style. If they're not obsessed, kind of like Binding the Gap was, not obsessed with that like interview camera over the shoulder. That never happens in Apollo 11. Mm-hmm. It was just like footage of what happened. There's no interviews with people who right. are there, like like right. looking back at it or anything like that. So many of the documentaries right now are partial in their, you know, kind of one-sided political discussions. Yeah. It must be kind of refreshing just to see, like, just pure depiction. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about, like, the space race at all, even. It was just about Apollo 11 and what the f- days surrounding that was like. Kind of just let it speak for itself that, about the engineering. Yeah, which it does. We went the fucking moon. <laughs> it should speak for itself. Anyone else here go to the moon? That's pretty fucking hard. <laughs> In fact, I guess the, the statement of the movie is that it requires no commentary. Like, yeah. that's the yeah. statement. It's just like, you know these were heroes of yeah. their time. Yeah. So, this is a, this is... Really good. And streaming on Hulu. Anybody yeah. wants to go check it out? That is the best episode of The Crown that came out this season. Is the one all about uh, Philip and his obsession with the Apollo Eleven crew. Really, yeah, neat. really cool. Cool. All right, Chris. Oh, are we doing turn? this rotation so that I? It just kind of rotates. Yep. <laughs> and then we jump to the next person. <laughs> okay. Uh, my number ten. Uh, if I were to ask you guys, what is the best video game movie of all time? What would you all scream in unison? Super Mario Brothers! No. <laughs> Detective Pikachu. Detective Pikachu! It's my number 10 movie of the year. Uh, I think that it is the aspirational goal of anyone trying to adapt a video game. Uh, I think that there's proof already of the movies that are slated for next year. And uh, when people saw the weird uh Nash toothed Sonic, and they all screamed at Sony and went, Fucking fix it. It's fucking my favorite thing to look at on the internet now. It's just side by sides of those. It's yeah. like, Yeah, why was this fucking hard? <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think it's because Detective Pikachu uh, was something that people were uncomfortable about the CGI depictions of, and then it came out and it was like, Oh, th- th- this is actually kind of cool. And then you see the movie and it's like, Oh, it's actually kind of a good movie. Yeah. It's cute. Uh, yeah, so it's my number 10. Kind of just like my, my wild cards shot there. Well, I think it does good for video game movies because I think it made it obvious that like story isn't really the problem Yeah, with video game movies. like The story to Detective Pikachu, I don't really know. I don't remember much of it. But the movie, I remember it being entertaining as shit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. people get paid a lot of money to write scripts for Hollywood. Original ideas, adapting books, comic books, whatever. Uh, people get paid a lot of money to write original scripts for video games. And they're very creative people who are doing this job for video games. That's not the issue. Yeah. Is it, it's, it's never been that. It's, I think, always been that filmmakers don't understand which audience to market a movie towards. Yeah. Fans of the video game, which then limits it, or... Fans of the general populace intending to expand, which pisses off the video game fans. Which also means kids. Right. So then adults tend to not like it. Right. But I think that Detective Pikachu does an excellent job of kind of straddling that line. Yeah, I would agree. Being a an entertaining video game plot come life and edge, the straight up entertaining movie that you don't need to know anything about the video game to enjoy or watch. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. The, I thought the two strengths of Detective Pikachu were first and foremost that uh, someone like me, who has no real reference point for Pokemon in general, I mean, I'm aware of a, maybe a handful, maybe a half dozen or so, but I wound up really enjoying you know, all that aspect. So, and, and I never felt overwhelmed by information or anything yeah, like, like that. Yeah, like, what's the duck one? Psyduck. Yeah. Like, that joke was hilarious to me and Brent, who yes. I never fucking heard of him before. I didn't, know, yeah. I, didn't, I didn't need to know what Psyduck was coming right. into it. And so I'm sure there were some things in the movie 
that were sort of tossed in there for people who who know Pokemon and who know that story, but they weren't. It didn't rely on that sure. stuff. Yeah, and so yeah, and that's that's the key. That's like I think that balance you're talking about. And the other thing that I think is also really great is it's a great like intro movie for kids to to noir. Yeah, yeah, because it, it has a lot of those basics of noir, and you know it, it intentionally hits some of those tropes of yeah. noir. And also, a great a voice work by Ryan Reynolds in that movie. Yeah. For sure. As much as we love Third Man, kids can't start with Third Man. Right. <laughs> but, yep, that's my number 10, Sacred Pikachu. Nice. We'll go TJ. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number 10 might be the most recent movie I've seen that I'm going to talk about. I think it is. Uh, finally got around to it. I think at least two of y'all saw it earlier in the year. Um, but uh, a teenage comedy that I thought had more heart and more going on than I initially thought it would. Uh, but my number 10 is Booksmart. Nice. Yeah. Really good. And I really like what they did with the gay character in this, which was not talk about it a fucking ton. Did you see it too? Oh, yeah. I really liked it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we all seen it? Yes. 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 Okay. Uh, yeah. Really like that. The, and also that the gay character fucking like gets the girl at the end into a way that's like something that Hollywood has taken away from the gay community a lot Yeah, in the past you know 20 years um, and just excellent performances by the two leads uh, Beanie Feldstein was fucking fantastic mm-hmm. in that movie um, and then like the sex scene with her and the girl in the bathroom wasn't a sex scene that only could happen between two girls Right, it was a sex thing that could have happened with anybody having sex for the first time yep it was uncomfortable and awkward the way that it would be with in high school with someone who is sexually inexperienced, regardless of gender or sexuality. Yeah. But that's my number 10. Booksmart. Booksmart. That's a movie that knows how to use Billy Lord. <laughs> She's great, man. She um, always pops up at every party, right? She's already there. Yeah. yeah. She's, the, she's, the, she's here. The, yeah, she's she's one, of the, one of the two one percenters. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'm going to do my number 10. And then I realized I, I messed up the roundtable order. I have it all written out now. <laughs> you have one. I have yeah, it all right now. So that we space out talking. So I got it. <laughs> <laughs> My number 10 is a, uh, uh, I call it a love story and a heist movie. Kind of, uh, you know, thrown in together. Uh, My number 10 is Hustlers. Hey. Heard you guys talk about it. Um, not sure if it's going to make your list from your discussion, but I thought it was really creative and innovative um, how they couch that story in terms of the financial collapse. Um, it's a lot of fun when it's at the high times, and when everything drops out, it kind of... Uh, I think the movie similarly like makes you miss those high times you saw, just because it's so much fun on the screen that you're seeing. It does a great job of not, like... Force you to root for these characters drugging people. Right. Which is a thin line. Yeah, the the best part of it is seeing uh, the one guy who's not, you know, they're in their ignorance, they're trying to say all these guys are, are you know, just stealing from firefighters and stuff. I think the, uh, not genius, but a smart thing the movie does is show you that there's somebody who's not like that. Yeah. Um, and you see his personal story more than anyone else's as a victim of that kind of really personalizes it. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, you know, Jennifer Lopez is for real in that movie. She's instant charisma when she's on screen, like anytime she's on screen. Yeah. It's easy to f- find why everyone is drawn to her. 
And I think uh, her in uh, Destiny, played by Constance Wu, have a really interesting, you know, love for each other. Sometimes it's almost romantic. Sometimes it's mother-daughter. Other times it's friends. And other times it's like boss and, you know, co-boss. Uh, I think it does a really good, uh, really good job with that relationship in particular. Is what I what I come away from. But mm-hmm. really fun movie. I think pretty pretty clever and uh, yeah, number ten. The physical performance of J Lo in that movie too is just super impressive. Yeah, I mean, fun to watch, obviously, but just really really impressive uh, what she does in that film. Yeah, agreed. So now we're gonna go on to our number nines, and it is T J. Oh no, backwards. Uh, similar to Booksmart in a way that. In the way that I was uh, surprised what the movie did, uh, thought it was going to be about like uh, a funny chubby girl trying to get skinny, and uh, what the movie did was talk about how everybody needs somebody they can rely on, multiple people they can rely on. That was the complete plot of uh, Britney Runs a Marathon, the Amazon Prime movie. Um, fantastic movie that, like I said, it started going somewhere in the first like fifteen minutes and then took a like hard right turn. I know Chris watched it. Yep. Um, but it ended up not being about weight loss at all. Yeah. Although so, something deep inside me really wanted them during the credits they show the real Brittany because it's based on true story. Hmm. Um, I think uh, based off of the book that the person who is Brittany wrote. Like a memoir, yeah. Yeah. Uh, they didn't show uh, that, that real person when they were fat and I was really upset because I wanted to see that. <laughs> but that is not what the movie is about. So... I don't knock it that much for it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to catch up with it. I, I think I'd, I'd heard that you liked it. I just got a, you know, ignorant, not seeing it vibe of, you ever see Run, Fat Boy, Run? Yep. It, I wonder if, if it was too similar, but probably not similar at all. Probably give it a shot. Yeah, I did not expect to enjoy the movie at all. I put mm-hmm. it on one like morning and then was trying to fall back to sleep and couldn't because it was so enjoyable. Yeah. Now whose turn is it? It's Chris. Oh shit! So now we're all we're spaced going completely out. backwards. Now it's all spaced out so that we have maximum time in between talking. Okay. okay. So just, just, it'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Kelly's note the last time she's like, "You guys talk a lot about planning on the podcast. Do you ever think about editing that out?" I'm like, "We don't edit anything now." <laughs> uh, my number nine movie, uh, and this might uh, cause a bunch of tight lips, so I'll be brief about it. Um, is a movie that is really in my top ten because I can't find any flaws in it. Not because I uh, really enjoyed it, would watch it again, and would wildly recommend it. But just because I think that it is, uh, it would be ignorant of me to not recognize it in my with the, the list of movies I've seen this year. Um, and it's The Irishman. Um, mm-hmm. I really didn't have any personal affinity towards it except for the performances of Joe Pesci and uh, Pacino. De Niro is also really great, but I think that uh, Pesci and Pacino are the, the two uh, scene stealers. Um, Agreed. And this is a number nine, but I think it would probably rank near the middle to bottom middle of Scorsese's movies for me. Mm-hmm. But really can't, when I think back on it, find much flaw in it, except I would have cut it down a little. We've all been saying that since it came out, kind of, I feel like. Or not we all, but yeah. me and you, anyway. Um, yeah, I, I feel you. So that's my number nine, Irishman. Cool. All right, I'm going to go next. <laughs> my squeaky, number squeaky, nine. Squeaky. You just son of a... We trust <laughs> you, David. <laughs> I promise it works out now. 
after this round. Uh, my number nine is the uh, for me the best animated movie of the year, um, and it's French. It's I Lost My Body, directed by uh, Jeremy Clapin, Clapin. <laughs> <laughs> but also co-written by one of the writers of Amelie, and you really see that on screen. It's incredibly inventive, and uh, you know it's not called I Lost My Hand. It's I Lost My Body because the whole perspective is flipped. It's uh, <clears throat> you know magical realism for the hand trying to get back to the body, and it's a great metaphor for what the character goes through. Um, I does anyone know what else that was about? I really want to watch it. it? Mm-hmm. So I actually, in my rush this week to try to watch a mm-hmm. bunch of movies, I um, watched the first like twenty minutes of it and just uh, ran out of time. Couldn't get back to it, mm-hmm. and I really liked what I saw. Yeah, the beginning is it's beautiful about uh, it. It's kind of a memory story, and then picks up with the guy. Um, but it's the memory of what his hand kind of enjoys doing. So you get glimpses of like his hand running through sand, and the the sound is great because it's individual, you know, <laughs> almost said shards of sand, <laughs> grains of sand. <laughs> Owie. Uh, you know, running through his fingertips. You know, like spinning a globe and slowing it with your hands. All these things connected to his childhood of trying to, like, catch a fly. It's these incredibly, like, human and, like, uh, tactile things in sense memory. And then uh, turns into a very, uh, you know, a very, not overly wrought, but, you know, emotional story of this guy growing up. And, I don't know, it's just very, it's very, very creative, very innovative, and it's very beautiful. A little melancholy, but it's French. So I really recommend it, and it's on Netflix for anybody to watch. Nice. Cool. Now I'm looking forward to, to finishing it. it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it. It made Brent's top 20 minutes of a movie that he <laughs> yeah, saw this yeah. week. Uh, I guess that leaves me for number nine. Number, my number nine is... Uh, Actually, it's Chris with number four. <laughs> 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 my number nine is uh, The Last Black Man in San Francisco. And uh, that is a movie starring Jimmy Fails as himself, a fictionalized, mostly non-fiction, but somewhat fictionalized version of himself. Uh, it's the story of him trying to uh, buy his uh, grandfather's house in San Francisco that he grew up in, and it winds up being a movie about gentrification, and it's a... It's a funny movie. It's also a sad movie and a touching movie, and uh, like really beautifully shot. And um, I've, I've already forgotten the guy's name. I just looked it up. He's the uh, he plays Monty, his best friend. Jonathan Majors. Jonathan Majors is uh, it's a showstopper of a performance. It's he had a, some it's, buzz early on in the season, kind mm-hmm. of tapered off, but you spoke highly of it when you saw it. Months it's ago. really fantastic. One of my big regrets. I wanted to watch that before doing my top 10 but kind of ran out of time and yep. I'm, I'm lucky uh you know uh occasional co-host of the podcast al uh actually uh got me to go see that in the theater with him so it was really really nice to be able to see that um good but yeah it's it's a movie i recommend everybody check out at some point it's uh it would probably connect with um you know some people who have more experience even living in neighborhoods like that than than, than it did with me and mm-hmm. and I loved it so awesome that is my good time of the year a movie that I don't know if it would make my top ten but I think that, that it's one that's available at the time we're recording this that I didn't have a chance to see mm-hmm. before it and I think would maybe crack yeah 
All right, on to our number eights, and Chris is going to kick it off. I love you. You're keeping me on my toes. <laughs> uh, shortest titled movie of the year. Uh, for me, my number eight goes to Us. Um, I just really like that movie. I'm in for whatever Jordan Peele has in store for the people, um, a.k.a. Us. Um, it is... It's so hard to uh, remember those early year movies, um, but this is the second one in a row that Jordan Peele has really kind of nailed, I think. Um, mm -hmm. I enjoyed Get Out more, probably. I think it had more to say, kind of on a bigger uh, lens, with a bigger lens. Uh, but I don't think that Us was trying to be as uh, metaphorical or allegorical. Um, and... Just as a like straight up kind of horror comedy, I really appreciated what it did. So, that, really good. And it had more horror elements than Get Out did. Yeah, um, mm -hmm. which was interesting. Yep. Um, I'm glad he ventured kind of that way a little bit because Get Out really had one like not psychological terror moment when the gardener is the granddad. You find out is running around in the field. Yeah, but that's the only like ah scary moment. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the rest of it's just like dread. Right. Yeah, and get out. I think though, I, I, I think some of this speaks to like what scares different people. Like because uh, to me, the the gardener was not that like that moment. I mean, for like me. pop out like oh right, like jump scare classic horror thing. To that, me, that, it's it's the it's the the clink, and then he like just falls into the darkness. That's yeah. like, the scariest part of that movie for me. Yeah, yeah. I guess scary is a bad term, but uh, traditional horror elements don't really exist in Get Out as much. Yeah, um, yeah, but and it's a different kind of horror movie. It's the it's it's body horror. It's the you know yeah. the classic. I mean, it, it is it is a maybe an all the all time great body horror movie about you know something having control over you, and us is uh, different. It's about you know there's good guys and bad guys, external yeah. horrors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well put, and yeah. So I really liked it. Us is number eight for me. Cool. <clears throat> all right. Now I'm doing number eight. Makes sense. Um, <clears throat> my number eight is uh, one I don't think a lot of you have seen. Uh, it's The Souvenir, Joanna Hogg, directed movie. Um, English movie introduces us to Tilda Swinton's uh, daughter, who is not an alien egg, but is actually <laughs> a human being, Honor Swinton Byrne. And it is a very matter-of-fact, sometimes almost cold, but like a really uh, personal portrayal of kind of what she went through going going through film school in England in the 80s. Um, the big, um, most of the movie is devoted to her relationship with a man she meets, Anthony, who is older, and uh, kind of takes over her life in uh, a lot of a lot of different ways, some that are unexpected. Definitely one of the most toxic boyfriends I think I've seen in, in many, many years. He does a great job just being a unrepentantly vile person. Never, not like abusive or anything, but just like emotionally and controlling. And uh, it's, it's just a very, uh, I don't know if I'd say affecting, but very, uh, it's just really well done movie depicting... You know, what that was like, kind of, like I said, matter of fact, and, uh, you know, very impressive movie from director. I'd never seen any of her films before, but she's very, very well respected. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it is, I thought it was very good. Um, 
I uh, I thought in particular the lead performance of uh, Honor Swinburne was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought she was very captivating. Um, it's a movie I've heard like a ton of buzz about mm-hmm. for pretty much all year, but mm-hmm. uh, I've never ever ever seen it. I will. It's a movie in the first fifteen minutes. If if you kind of you aren't on its vibe, it has a very slow, very kind of icy vibe to it. If you're in the uh, if you're in its vibe though, it's very very captivating. Cool. Yeah, turn it off. It's one of those movies where you should turn it off if you aren't feeling it quickly because yeah. it's you're not in the. It's one of those. You know, we've talked recently about yeah. like you got to be in there. Uh, some movies require a certain mm-hmm. mind space, and right. this is one of those. I think. Mm-hmm. Cool. Good pick. So then, uh, next number eight is Brent. Number eight for Brent is a movie that I definitely know off the top of my head, and it is <laughs> The Irishman. Um, hey. First repeat. There's a. Uh, there's really no nothing more I can add because my my thoughts on the Irishman almost mirror Chris's exactly. It's it is it is a an extremely well made movie and it's an extremely well acted movie and I think it is I think the last twenty minutes are probably my favorite part when Frank's all alone and dealing with you know the ramifications of his his life of dealing death, but. Um, the performances of Pacino and uh, Pesci are top notch, and De Niro's is very good. And uh, like Chris, I just didn't have a, a real strong emotional connection to the movie, but I, I found it to be uh, technically pretty much perfect. <laughs> so, yep, these are pros who know what they're doing, and they've worked with each other before, and so right, nothing it's, surprising in that. Yeah, it's certainly impressive. Yeah, I think I, that's how I kind of came away from it. Yeah. All right. Number, uh, number eight is uh, Joker. Uh, I didn't really think it made my top ten, but then I, one of the movies that like weirdly stuck with me, and not in a like. Not in the way that like I was thinking about healthcare and what it was saying about that over and over again, but uh, I think they did a really good job of playing with reality in that movie, and I still don't really know what happened and what didn't. Yeah, and I've had that conversation with Al and Brent and Chris uh, leading up to this. It's like there's there is a break somewhere, I think, and I don't know where that break is, and I think that's that's good. I was also impressed the how he. Didn't come across as copying The King of Comedy or Taxi Driver, uh, but it really seemed like an ode Yeah, uh, more than... Uh, I was worried that I was going to watch that and be like, oh, fuck. Mm-hmm. He just made Taxi Driver with a Joker. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I hadn't seen King of Comedy yet, but uh, Brent had, and me and him had talked about that before the movie came out. But it was really good, and I think it's... I mean, 1A and 1B as far as Driver and Phoenix go and performance of the year for me. Um, Phoenix was incredible in that road that role physically and um like emotionally it was just tiresome to watch and i think that's what they wanted me to feel like mm-hmm. nice. and i don't want to make it seem like it's not an emotional role because it is but man that is a very physical role that he oh totally he yeah. brings they, they talked about on the director's roundtable where they were like did you do reshoots on joker and he was like we couldn't for like joaquin's health yeah mm-hmm. he couldn't keep the weight off for more than like three weeks um so yeah it was uh, a movie that I didn't know what I was going to think about going in. I still don't really know what to think about it, except that it's really well done. Nice. That's number eight for me. All right. Number sevens. I'm going to introduce number seven. Okay. Um, my number seven is, uh, I'm just going to go out and say it, Wild Rose. 
Um, anybody get a chance to check this out? I've not no. seen one. Yes, it's it's up probably for best song. Yeah, <laughs> co-written by Mary Steenburgen. Oh, I really want to see this. Yeah, <laughs> okay, now it's ringing a bell. Yeah, it's a uh, Scottish woman who wants to be a country mm-hmm. music star, and she the first scene is her getting out of prison for narcotics and going back to her life. She's got children, and she's got a mother that takes care of them, and she's trying to somehow, from Great Britain, launch a country music career. <laughs> um, it is very... Uh, it's not breaking any rules or doing anything new with the kind of structure it's going to have um, about uh, a dreamer who's trying to strike it big, but man, does it have one of the most charismatic, star-making performances I've seen in years. Awesome. Jesse Buckley as Rose Lynn um, is going to blow your socks off. She's so hmm. fun to watch. Um, when she's, uh, she's got a hell of a voice. She does her own singing in it. Um, really made me appreciate watching the country music thing because uh, there's a lot of callbacks to, uh, to like Kitty Wells and a bunch of old country characters. And she's got a tattoo, you know, three, three chords and the truth. Um, I think that's country music. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it's a super winning movie. And uh, if you guys know Julia Walters, she was uh, in Harry Potter movies. I think as Mrs. Weasley. Weasley. Yeah. yeah. She's she's great. Uh, does a great Scottish accent. Looks like she could play Buckley's mom, I'm guessing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's, she's the mom and is very, uh, does a great, she's just really affecting in that role. She's, she's, uh, Really good, but man, watch it for Jesse Buckley, and the music's really good. Um, I recommend it. I think it'd be a lot of your guys' jam. Nice. I, uh, it's one of my favorite like feelings watching a movie is when you see some like young actor or actress who you don't really know that well, like mm-hmm. blow your socks off. Um, I was that way earlier, and was that this year, Blockers? Mm-hmm. With uh, uh, Geraldine Viswanathan, yeah. uh, Indian girl in that. I was just like, this girl's going to be a fucking superstar. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it's made me watch shit she's in. Like I've started watching Miracle Workers on TBS just because she's in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's a uh, super fun when that happens. There. Yeah. Nice. So, check out Wild Rose. So, random next order turn is <laughs> Brent. Uh, number seven for me is my funniest movie of the year. I think um, it's Toy Story Four. Mm, nice. I love Toy Story Four. Um, I think Toy Story Four. Has a few flaws that uh, um, it's hard for it to get around. I think it can only succeed despite you know by having the flaws as well. But it's uh, it's a movie mostly about uh, Woody, um, and it's a movie about Forky. And God, I love Forky so much. Mm-hmm. Great uh, character. Yeah, so funny and. <laughs> I still laugh out loud to myself whenever I think of the trash bit. Just like him walking back to the yes. trash can is fucking hilarious. <laughs> but also, there's some real deep shit going on with Forky in that trash bit. Like that is, yeah, really no. starts making you wonder about like what we are and and you know. And so it's it's really it's really funny and deep and it's uh, also to add to the humor the the Key and Peel bits are hilarious. Yeah. In I was a big fan of uh, Keanu Reeves too. <laughs> oh yeah, the Canadian. Sure, it was probably my favorite joke <laughs> of the of the movie. But Keanu um, were great too. It is a you know it's a sequel that after the third one I didn't didn't need more Toy Story, but they decided to give it to us. And 
yet again, they knock it out of the park. It is, it is never, it is always a well-developed good story. With Man, Pixar. I haven't really thought about it until now, but like that series has done an incredible job adding new characters, mm-hmm. like new toys every movie. Yeah, they're always just fantastic. And well, that's that's what I mean about it needing it needing its flaw to succeed because the flaw is that like the characters we love from Toy Story like Buzz Buzz takes a definite backseat in this uh, movie he'd yeah. be like eighth build he's almost books. forgotten yeah. in the movie and they give him kind of a cursory little plot just to have because because he's Buzz right. right it's like well we gotta have something for him to do kids will cry <laughs> right yeah. um, so that's the only sort of flaw of the movie to me is that it, it does break up the gang and it focuses on a, a very specific part but. That's also what lets us have the really touching story with with Forky. So, I'm a fan. That that Pixar, check them out. They're doing some good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what number we're on. Seven. 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 It's Toy Story Four. Hey! Yeah. I would have said more if I had known that we were on seven. I can't count it. <laughs> um, yeah, everything Brent said was was dead on. I think you get this. I remember in the theater trying to put together the Forky trying to go home to the trash can and Woody spending the whole movie teaching him that what he needs to do with his life is not that anymore. There's something else he's got to do that's important. Mm-hmm. And Woody not seeing that as well. Um, I think a lot of the initial backlash of that movie was like Woody would never leave Andy. Uh, would never leave, like, his, not Andy, but... Uh, right. The little girl, the girl whatever her name is. Bonnie. Yeah. Um, and it was like, you know, Woody would never leave her. He would never leave a kid. That's his whole life goal. And it's like, well, it's not anymore. The kid doesn't want him anymore. He's trained to the next, like, wave of Woody. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And Forky. Um, and that's that's his job now, is making sure toys have homes and can make... He's making more kids happy by doing what he's doing. Those who can't do, teach. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, just an adorable, adorable movie, uh, and yeah, they made a a bold choice. I think leaving Woody behind. That um, might be a way of Pixar just being like, "We're done." <laughs> Stop. Woody and Buzz you. don't hang out anymore. <laughs> right. We can't make a fifth one. Um, but yeah, it was great, uh, and one of the prettiest animated shots I've ever seen. And it sucks that it's not in like. Kubo or Studio Ghibli, but the yes. rain scene with Bo Peep and Woody, the Under flashback, the car. so, oh my so God, it's, well done. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Check out Toy Story 4. <laughs> we need your help. Next is Chris. Now it's me. <laughs> uh, my number seven, uh, a movie that's been talked about once before, uh, is uh, Booksmart. Hey! really liked it. It's uh, my, let me check, uh, favorite comedy of the year. Um, and I just really like uh, the chemistry between Beanie Feldstein and Caitlin Deaver. I think that they are great, and uh, was really kind of hoping for some for the early buzz for Olivia Wilde to carry through. Uh, disappointed that it didn't, uh, but I think that it is also a great first outing by her as director. Um, it's, it's very visually impressive too. It's not just mm-hmm. like an actor that will just film a comedy. There's a lot of like flourishes to it. Yes. Yeah. I was really surprised by that pool <laughs> very scene is, is gorgeous. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. To the perfume and the, song. The like deafening sound, cell phone lights appearing, filming them fighting mm-hmm. scene was so well done because it snuck up on me. Like I didn't see it happen. All of a sudden there were all these lights behind yeah. them. Um, clever. Oh, fucking kids are the worst. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> For uh, filming that shit. 
And and I liked even where it was like dipping its toe into some action stunts with like the the car shit near the end. It's I thought that was really fun. Yeah, mm-hmm. and kind of showing showing some range in a uh, movie that you know you don't have to. Um, and good good jokes too, man. They like yeah. hit the hit it out of the park with some of that like. I'm just gonna make everybody know that this is like the richest fucking yuppie kid high school. Yeah, like <laughs> they're all geniuses with great parents. First of all, we're gonna name the uh, isn't, isn't the skateboarding uh, bisexual chick named Ryan? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's what we're gonna do. And we're gonna name people like Braley and shit like that. Um, <laughs> it was like the I love the uh, her her speaking to Ryan. It's like yeah, they persecute people in Uganda. Would you be afraid of going to Uganda? He's like, what do you mean, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Such uh, an interesting character. I'd be like, I didn't really get into any colleges. But, you know, Google recruited me. I mean, it's not much, but six figures. Like <laughs> 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 <But, but> great, <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, so the people who called this uh, super bad buck girls, they're missing the point entirely. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Very reductive. Yeah. Booksmart. Number seven for me. Please. All right. That wraps up the sevens. And starting up the sixes is Brent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number six for me is a movie that made me scared of the sunlight. Midsommar. Nice. Midsommar is, uh, yeah, very. it's pretty horrifying. <laughs> It's uh, <laughs> yep. There's a there's a squish in that movie that is one of my least favorite squishes of all time. <laughs> Squishing a bounce. Yeah, both of it. Yeah, it's, it's both. It's both the squish and the bounce. Yeah. That more fun to play like, with fun play, I guess. I don't know with sound in that scene. Yeah, just because that's the last thing you hear before everything. There's no sound for like two minutes. Yeah, and it goes boing. <laughs> boing, boing, boing. <laughs> there's also a point when wait, when, that was me. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, it's. Uh, I saw that movie by myself in a theater. Which was, oh, like like oh. by yourself, by yourself, by myself, not not without a friend, they without sold, any other humans. They sold a ticket <laughs> okay. to that movie that day, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna bring a buddy next time I can see an Ari Aster film. <laughs> I saw it with Cass and Brent's wife in the middle of the day, which is weird. Going outside and be like, I still don't feel safe. Yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> That's supposed to. That's the thing with horror movies. You know, horror movies are dark, and you're supposed to be able to leave the theater and feel much better outside. And instead, you just go outside, and the sun. I saw it also yeah. during the day. The worst time to see that movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. I'm guessing someone else may have more to say on Midsommar, so I'll I'll leave it at that. But that's it's it's a really good movie, a really terrifying movie. Yeah. 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 Uh, my number six is The Irishman. Uh, echo what Brent and uh, Chris said. Uh, a slightly more favorable echo. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I, I guess my thing was, I was like, this movie's too fucking long. Period. Movie shouldn't be that long. Any movie shouldn't be that long. Mm-hmm. I don't know where to draw the line, but I'm fucking drawing it there. It shouldn't be that long. Uh, having said that, I kept watching it and didn't need to like take a break. <laughs> so I don't know what the fuck Martin Scorsese did. He's an asshole and a wizard. And... <clears throat> Yeah, it's the three Irishman's and a half really hours, good. but it gets better as it goes along. Yeah, I wanted to know what was going to happen, I mean, even though I knew what was going to happen. It doesn't make fucking sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just could not have been happier with Joe Pesci's performance in that. Yeah. Um, he's been out of movies for a long time, and he's still got it. Yeah, it is what it is. Yep, and he can save a seat for, for Rick Moranis. The two of them can have their comeback <laughs> year in this calendar year. Country music star Rick Moranis. Yeah. <laughs> So, my number six, it's a weird one. One that I was actually surprised made it this high up. 
also as if this is objective and I can't change things, but I can. Um, thanks, Brent, for letting me steal that joke from earlier. Uh, but for me, it's uh, my only sequel and my only in a series on my list, on my top ten this year. I think this is a great year if you all look at your list, too, for... People will say that there are no original ideas in Hollywood. I've got fucking nine that aren't based on like established properties. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this one is, and it is John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum. Parabellum. Uh, it's just a super pew, fun pew, movie. Pew, pew, pew. Uh, again, this is like a series where every time they released a, uh, announced a sequel, it was like, okay, uh, <laughs> sure. And then you watch it and you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Yeah, they, they, they kind of expand the universe. And then with John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, it was like, kind of, like they'd already done a lot in Chapter Two, but you—I mean—they they announced it was a trilogy when that movie was like in development. Uh, but they kind of expand the universe more and they tell more of a story. Um, this one is not nearly as subdued as John Wick was. Uh, the, it is the opposite of subtle. Um, like there's, there's like a fucking, it's like samurai sword fight in a hall of glass, which is just like fucking cool. Um, and so I think that this is in my top 10 just because I, uh, this is my, my, my thrill ride pick of the year is, uh, is John Wick chapter three, Parabellum. There's also an awesome fight with like two superhero dogs, which is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. It's like that dog literally just jumped 30 feet in the fucking air. (laughs) It's so cool when they're fighting through the bazaar because they like, shoot someone in the chest and then a dog comes and like rips their neck open. <laughs> or then like you see someone who's like shooting at them and the dog comes and rips their neck open and then they shoot them in the chest. And it's just like, those are your two like ingredients and you're cooking the same food every time. You're just adding them in different orders. Yeah. Got a technique. Does that happen for any time anyone is injured? Just a dog comes and carries them off. Yeah. <laughs> you should you should watch at least that scene. That is that is that scene. Through and through. Yeah, Halle Berry, Halle Berry whistles and the, they clap to the third story of this building and throw people off of it. Maybe it's I shouldn't like, watch it because I just picture it's two hours of that. <laughs> Anytime someone's like punched, a dog comes and takes that guy away. I mean, I think it's like a half hour of that. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that movie. Yeah, the movie can be split into three parts. There's a part where the dogs destroy people. There's a part where Keanu Reeves destroys people with a shotgun, like shooting through helmets. And then there's a part where he does like one-on-one fights with Samurai Guy. And that's pretty much the whole movie. And it's cool. There's a little bit of plot in between and you can forget all that. Like chapter one, dogs. <laughs> chapter two, <laughs> chapter three, parabellum. <laughs> That's how you get a parabellum. Yep. <laughs> All right, uh, I'm gonna wrap up the sixes. Um, my number six. I'm always game for uh, two men with opposite ideologies, kind of talking through with respect for each other. You make them popes, and hey, baby, you got a six. <laughs> <laughs> You got a what? A six. A, a six. <laughs> a six. <laughs> um, yeah, I think uh, from hearing you guys talk about it, I like two popes more than uh, you guys did. Um, I love seen it, so it's definitely you definitely liked it enough to watch I liked it. it more than Chris. <laughs> yeah. Chris probably the only person who's seen it. Yeah. Um, love Jonathan Price as uh, Pope Francis uh, Bergoglio. I think he is uh, he is uh, like Mister Rogers level likable kind of pope guy. Yeah, and then uh, Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> Wait, kind of poop guy. <laughs> Pump quality, much. Well, he just has like a, a charismatic, likable mystique about him. Right, like, 
the movie does a great job of portraying that. Like, he'll just talk to, you know, he's waiting for Pope Benedict, who likes to keep people waiting. And while he's waiting, he talks to the gardener about, like, planting basil and is, like, everybody's best friend instantly. That picture of, like, taking off his, like, Pope hat and putting on a slightly more casual <laughs> <laughs> Basically. I mean, that's, that's kind of what Pope Francis did. <laughs> okay, good, good. Yeah, and uh, the surprise of the movie is that uh, Anthony Hopkins is subtle. Yeah. Which, uh, I, I can't remember him ever being subtle in any movie I've ever seen him in. Yeah. But he really holds back in the restraint and kind of uh, tension of Pope Benedict. He it's kind of how Benedict really was, so... Yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's a fan of the, uh, the the hierarchy and the rules and the process, and Francis is for the people. They do a good flashback, it's in black and white, for how Pope Francis uh, came to be a priest, and it's an interesting... Interesting little like novella of a story yeah, like in the part. middle of the mm-hmm. movie, yeah. and and it's also surprisingly funny. Um, there's a lot of jokes in it and humor situations where, you know, two popes just joking, on just each fucking, other. just fucking cutting it up. <laughs> Cack jokes. Yeah, but at the center, there's great conversational philosophical centerpieces to the movie that uh, you know make it my six. Really appreciate the intelligent writing in those conversations. And Fernando Morales, the director on. Uh the director roundtable for Hollywood Reporter. Mm-hmm. Um, so the clip they showed in that of them in the helicopter was was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, they both got sag noms too, which is nice. I think also in that same roundtable is where he mentioned that uh, <laughs> Jonathan Price, like as soon as, uh, as soon as Francis became Pope, Jonathan Price was like, well, I guess I'm going to be playing him one day. Yeah. <laughs> I look exactly like him. His ca- casting process was like Google image <laughs> searching who looks like Pope Francis. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, we won't have David play two popes or nope. <laughs> Sounds like the answer would be frequently two popes. Two popes. All right, so that's the six. Is we're halfway through, and uh, kicking off the uh, top half is TJ with your number five. Uh, the second best horror movie of the year for me at number five. I chose Us here at number five. Uh, I am loving this like Ari Oster uh, peel like fight though yeah <laughs> keep doing it because they're both awesome and they made like two completely different movies with their first two directorial picks um but i love us and what he did the scene at the house like the one from the trailer is just so fucking brilliantly directed and uh set up um and way to get Lupita the Leongo to Lupita Nyong'o uh in your movie because she's fucking awesome <laughs> And everything she does. Yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. Uh, and not even as, you know, the tethered one, but mm-hmm. as the one you think is the good one the whole time. I mean, she's just fantastic. Yeah. Movie. It'll be great with the kids. Um, the kids are great. Uh, just a really fucking fun horror movie that I'm kind of with Chris. I think uh, when I first got out of the theater, I thought there was more to it uh, as far as like allegories go and metaphors. But I think when it comes down to it, there's a little bit of that and it's just a fun fucking horror movie and doesn't need to be thought about too much. Yeah. Um, it's got a good twist, which is hard to do these days, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I got us at number five. Got five on it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I know things. <laughs> All right, I'm stealing some thunder for my number five. Um, someone's going to have this higher, so I will be brief. Um, this is a similar appeal uh, t- to me as The Irishman um, in that this feels like mandatory viewing for the year, and when you watch it, you get it. 
Um, but as far as a personal pull, I felt next to none. It's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, again, just kind of a perfect movie um, in everything it does technically, in the acting. Um, my... I think probably... No, I really don't, I really don't have much to say. I loved the... The vignettes and the flashbacks, kind of the uh, the stories about um, like these characters' pasts and how just kind of uh, like slipped into the narrative they are. Brad Pitt's daydreaming on the roof of a building and remembers why he's not working for the stunt coordinator anymore and remembers his fight with Bruce Lee. And it's this kind of uh, like amusing, unnecessary piece of fluff that just kind of pads out this character who doesn't really develop on screen in their start to finish uh, present narrative, but who you just kind of get his life from how he, he doesn't need to develop. He's kind of the, the grounded human being that you get one of in every Tarantino movie. Everyone else is very idealistic or, and just typically their downfall um, and it's nice to see that character kind of succeed every once in a while in a Tarantino film. Uh, but other than Pitt's performance, you know, DiCaprio did a fantastic job. Uh, you know, the the hippie commune, they all did great. Um, I, I love that The girl, scene. I thought, with DiCaprio. Yeah, that Margaret. whole scene is fantastic. The girl with DiCaprio? The, uh, little, the, girl. the little girl. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. That well, was, I'm, I'm totally with you, man. Spoiler alert, it didn't make my top ten. Uh, kind of for the same reason. Like, you get Brad Pitt in that scene with, with uh, Bruce Lee, and you get DiCaprio making the new show, and you get the Manson thing, and then you get the ending, and none of it felt connected to me at all. Yeah. Um, all super well done. Dialogue was great. Filmed perfectly, kind of like the Scorsese thing. Like, Tarantino doesn't make mistakes, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but just kind of, like, shrugged my shoulders after it was over. It was like, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. I don't I, don't, I forgot about it the next day, kind of. The end of that movie was really, really fun. Oh, especially funny as hell. For how long the movie is, and it's sort of been a slow burn, that movie, and yeah. so the the fast burn of the end of that movie is uh, is really, really fun. Um, but the I think the highlight of the movie for me is the ranch scene, because yeah. that is... It's it's not quite the tension building of the, uh, the bar in... Uh, uh, Bastards. Bastards. But it's up there. Mm-hmm. It, it might be the second most. It might, Which, be, yeah. my, it might be my second favorite Tarantino scene when it comes to building tension, mm-hmm. because it is just this like it's just you can just feel the the, the oh, yeah. heat rising throughout that scene. And yeah, I would just, I would put it on par with that and with like I guess the diner in Pulp Fiction. But yeah, yeah it's really good. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. It, it is. Uh, and I think you get a little bit of that at the ranch even when yeah. you're waiting on the guy to come back. Uh, I was scared for Brad Pitt for a second. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I don't know. It was fun. I guess another problem I kind of had with it was it felt a little like Inglorious Bastards with the ending. Like, mm-hmm. I wasn't sure. as shocked by it because I kind of saw it coming a little bit. Not like the, necessarily the flamethrower in her in the pool. He's going yeah. down that path before, though. Yeah. The, right. um, and not that he can't do it well. Yeah. Um, I was super entertained. Really I think well. the movie's great. Yeah. Yeah. He also, um, also kind of tells you out out front that he is going to be revisionist by titling it Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. He tells you this is a fairy tale story. Um, and so it's... Yeah, and kind of good on Tarantino for not wanting to... for making it where the woman who's eight months pregnant doesn't get her belly carved up. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'd a, rather see this movie. It's a lovely fantasy. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's why it makes it number five. I couldn't tell you why it's not lower or why it's not higher. It just didn't really do it for me. I'm glad it made yours because I felt weird about it not making mine. So, cool. Yep. So, number five is uh, Me Now. And uh, I'll try to see if I have anything else to say about Booksmart. Best comedy of the year for me. And pound for pound, I think the most enjoyable and delightful movie I saw all year. In my top ten, it's the only one I've seen multiple times. It's kind it's of super rewatchable. At the it's at the level of comfort food now. Yeah, I think now it's on uh, it's on Hulu, so it's just easy to stream. You know, you're stressed out. It's very uh, very enjoyable. I think it's uh, while also being delight you know delightful. I love that Amy Molly relationship and their relationship within the high school of. Uh, you know, I can definitely relate to um, being a nerdy kid who got good grades and the feeling of everybody's having fun except for me. <laughs> like, yeah. all the, you know, there are parties every weekend and I'm not going to them. It's very, uh, very, um, very human touch to something that is elevated comedy. Yeah, and then also, like, realistic, where, like, they weren't getting, like, severely bullied mm-hmm. either. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just this, like this new era of movies that portrays bullies as something believable, right. that is uh, something that I appreciate a lot. It's a relief to see. Like, yeah. not every bully is a psychopath. And not every not every bully is going to like push you off the edge of a cliff right. because ha ha, what a joke. <laughs> I just feel like that's what movies in the eighties and nineties made bullies nice. seem like. <laughs> yeah, it was for sure. Um, Booksmart also like. You know, you you brought up Beanie earlier, and she's really good in that movie. She's really funny. She's like the big, I think, the comedic driving force of the movie mm-hmm. for good reason. It's sort of a showcase for her. But uh, and I was ready for her. I was not ready for how good Caitlin Dever was in yeah, that movie. Fantastic, she's so good in that movie. In a really touching role, like a heartwarming role. Yeah, I forgot who there was a letterbox review of Booksmart. That said, like, I bought stock on Caitlin Deaver at Justified, and now I'm a millionaire. (laughs) Like, she's just, uh, she's going to be one of those great next actresses, I believe. Who played her mom? I'm missing it right now. Was it Lisa Kudrow? That's what I was going to guess. Will Forte, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great scene, too. Yet another of my my long list of, of like, can does Will Forte not want to do, not want to be in a movie for more than, like, 90 seconds? (laughs) No. (laughs) No, it's not. But Booksmart, third time around. Nice. Uh, wrapping up the fives is going to be Brent. Right, number five. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> Once there was a TJ, and his number five was a movie. Can we? But can there we? was another person on the podcast whose number five is the same movie. You don't sound like her. You sound like something else, and I can't put my finger on it. I would love to hear someone redo the Crash S. Dummies song, but just in that. <laughs> Not you guys right now. Yeah, no, hold on, wait, I mean, some, sometime in the future. You must sound like, she's been dead for 50 years. <laughs> yeah, my, my number five is also us. Yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. I I actually, from, I'm going to differ and say I think the movie had more to say on a bigger scale. Um but uh, and uh, I think it's open to a lot of different interpretations, which is uh, part of what makes it great for me. It's uh, you know I think you can definitely take a reading of you know 
Trump's hands across America, you know, if you want to. But also, I think there are other ways to read that movie. It's it's not so pointed a message that you're you're sort of stuck with it. It's not really spoon fed to you in that way, and that's what uh, I really liked about it. Um, if you're looking for the stuff that's there, like the tethered, or like the literal underclass, because mm-hmm. they're underground and don't have the opportunities that people up you know, top level have, there's, I think you can pull a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. I'd agree with that. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's the mark of a really well-crafted movie to me is that if you're not looking for that stuff, you can still enjoy the movie just as much as those who are. Yeah. And that to me is just, uh, you know, that is a, a directing master and a, or a, you know, a master writer at this point. And I think that's what Jordan Peele is proving himself to be. Um, us is also, really really fun when mm. everything starts going to shit you know when the when the rising happens and uh the the scene of the attack on the house is great mm-hmm. and then also the it really ratchets up the fun too in the uh um elizabeth moss mm-hmm. and uh tim heidecker. tim heidecker in their family because that's the moment when you realize it is it is not isolated to this to our core family. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there's mm-hmm. something way scarier even at play here. It ratchets up the brutality. Yeah, like instantly. Yeah the the hill that the the our protagonists have to climb becomes way way larger. It mm-hmm. is Everest compared to what we thought it might be. Because a lot of these horror movies, it is just you versus this one, you know, mm-hmm. monster. You know, it's, it's you. Can you overcome Jason? And if you can, you're good. Mm-hmm. But in this one, there's you know six billion Jasons. <laughs> there's a great uh, uh, Hollywood Reporter article interview with with Peel about how he was worried that he was giving away the twist with the wardrobe um, by making them wear one glove and wear red because he did that because the girl is wearing what Michael Jackson. Is wearing in like the music videos. Mm-hmm. That's what with the Michael Jackson T-shirt. He was like, I thought that was like too much of a giveaway. Um, and I was like, You're good, no, man. No, you're good. You're, yeah, you're fine. I didn't know about it until you just told I've me. I've watched it twice and I uh, did not know that. Right. Today I learned that. Yeah. Uh, I like the twist where you find out what uh, what uh, Tim Heidecker's character named his boat. It's uh, Biatch with Y A C H T in the middle of that. Biatch. Yeah. It's great, man. I think the hardest I laughed at the movie wasn't us, and it was him chasing Winston Duke out of the house when he's like, he's like trying to act like Colt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's so funny. It's scary. Offers the hand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that wraps up the fives, and kicking off the four is Chris. me. Yeah. Um, it's I do like that. That's not what I go to go. Uh, just Brent. That's not what I go to see Us for. I know that it's there. But I think there's probably two movies who told the story of the repressed lower class better. Uh, and one of which is at my number four. And it's Joker. Um, I think that this is, like TJ was saying, you know, there are things that it says about mental health that you can, you know, analyze. There's things about class that you can analyze. And there's just the straight up movies you can watch. Um, but I thought that this was, you know, th- this was, uh, the Kung Fu in the middle of a street brawl kind of performance out of Joaquin Phoenix. It was just like, 
so unexpected from what you know a performance like Joker to be. It was... Uh, I don't want to say bold, because bold typically means bad but inspired. But it was like... It was a depiction of a character that was so against type of the Mark Hamill, uh, Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger, but still so fitting for what the Joker is understood as being, um, Mm -hmm. just in that it's like chaos personified. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really liked that. And then like adding human layers onto how that character is created kind of creates this like this like sediment that is just i think a really interesting movie um you know i think that if logan was the first to kind of show like here's a superhero but here are the real life things that affect this person just growing old and dealing with loss and losing their friends and like superheroes are people first with abilities and that if Joker is like here is a super villain but he was a person first if this is kind of a trend that we're going to see then I am fucking in for it yeah um, and I really like Joker because of that yeah my number four it's uh really fucking creepy at yeah. times um even like before the movie gets going it's like just icky yeah you know that his relationship with his mother is off, but nothing on screen happens that is like your traditional, like Norman Bates kind of archetype or anything. There's just something like different about the way that uh, that he is dealing with his mother and his mother treats him, and it's not it's not anything that I can point to in like film history as like oh they're cribbing from this. It's just like a, it is just a strange dynamic and, and like his interactions with people are just uniquely strange. And I think it's the uniqueness about the depiction that I liked so much. Yeah, I think Phoenix is a lot, uh, deserving of a lot of praise for the movie. I mean, not to keep circling back to that round table that we all watched, but uh, him talking about like originally the script called for him to go hide the gun after the subway killings and like... Phoenix was like, does it feel like something that character would do? And it's like, oh, thank God that wasn't in the movie. <laughs> yeah. That would have hurt it severely. Yeah. And shit like that was going to happen throughout it. So uh, instead he like danced or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> it was horrifying. All right. Uh, next number four is going to be me. And uh, we've seen a lot of different kind of movies. But this is our first in everybody's list. Us. Hey, us is my number four, and now I'm trying to think of anything else to say about it. Um, It is uh, again, Jordan Peele is like expert level at almost every element of this movie. Um, Wildly imaginative, um, super evocative. I just think of some of those scenes, and they're so indelible, like how they're how they're shot. I can just see them like exactly in my mind. They're so striking. How he kind of uh, portrays everything there. I think it's uh, really good. You know, as the fourth person talking about this movie, I don't know what else to say, but hey, I like us. Nice. And that's my number four. Nice. Uh, next four is going to be Brant. Ah, uh, number four. Yeah, a uh, 
this one is, is was just a really fun rod at the movie theater for me, and it was uh, Knives Out by Ron Ryan Johnson. Four as well. Oh, really? Yeah, we've mirrored each other a bit on this fight yeah. on this uh, top ten. That's weird. Um, so uh, yeah, <laughs> lady. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, it is, man. It's just one of the most fun times I've had in a theater in a long time. Yeah, and it's not that the mystery is like so great and well crafted necessarily even though it is really well good enough yeah it's good enough but it's just the way that it's done it it manages to be original and inventive and also maintain that it doesn't get bogged down in the mystery it it's really fun it's just all the all the actors are there and they're they, they're there to have a good time you can tell yeah and, yeah, and he lets them have a really good time great side performances from the family uh, I did let out like, and I feel like a lot of the theater did uh, let out like a collective sigh of relief when uh, um, Daniel Craig started talking. <laughs> it was like, okay, it doesn't suck. Thank God. <laughs> I was like a little nervous about it. Well, it's it is weird that it, for me it was his uh, Daniel Craig's southern accent is at its worst in the first two sentences out of his. It movie. is, yeah. And uh, and, and the, for those two sentences, I was like, oh, and then he kept talking. I was like, ah, it's fading out. It's good. It's it's getting better. <laughs> Um, somebody who's like name uh, I first learned during uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine, but uh, did not know it was in the movie until I saw her. Uh, ended up having the most lines out of anybody. The lead Anna Diarmas was fan fucking tastic. Yeah, in the movie, um, I think she's definitely got some some star power in her. Mm-hmm. But also, like all those you know people you recognize, Don Johnson is great. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis. Has a really good time. Tony Collette's really funny in the movie, and uh, Michael Shannon also is really, really funny. And uh, you can tell. I, I mean, he, I don't think he was as good as some of those, but he was great still. But you could tell Chris Evans was having like a blast making yes. the movie. Yeah, he was just so happy not to fucking be Captain anymore. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you. It was a like a performance of freedom for Chris Evans. You can tell. He's like, this is. I'm back to doing basic. This is like the most fun he's had probably since. Uh, uh, Oh, uh, what do you call Fantastic it? Four. No, uh, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim, yes. yes. Mm. It felt like that kind of performance. <laughs> who had fun in Fantastic Four? Uh, all the people who showed up for the second one? <laughs> Michael um, Chiklis. Also, <laughs> Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> but yeah, Knives Out. All right. Knives Out. Check it out. A twofer there. Yeah. So then uh, that wraps up our fours. I'm going to introduce the threes here. Um, my three is a repeat here. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, it kind of it connected for me a little. Uh, sounds like a little more than for you guys. Um, what I appreciated the most about this in a Tarantino movie was the pace, and almost the lack of the breakneck pace, but being a leisurely hangout with characters that I found really interesting, really funny, and just just kind of seeing them hang out. It's really like a like summer hangout movie um, for me. It took me a while to figure out what Quentin Tarantino was doing with the Sharon Tate part. Um, and I think uh, after thinking about it, like the movie has stuck with me, scenes uh, coming here and there. I think I finally, you know, we'll never know. Maybe he'll he'll say it on some interview and maybe it'll be what it is. But it's just a, uh, I think it's the sweetest, like the scene where she just buys a book or gets the book, goes to the movie theater. It's probably the sweetest things he's ever depicted on screen. Yeah, it's true. The most uncynical presentation of like a character I think he's ever done. 
And it's a great... I think it, it frames the ending very well that Rick Dalton and uh, Cliff Booth are at the end of their career, and here's this career that's starting out. And it makes the ending... Um, for me, it's not just like an Inglorious Bastards ripoff. I mean, part of it is. Like, it's kind of taking that style. <clears throat> but the impact of it is melancholy, you know, for me. Because it's less of, uh, oh, how cool is this? Rather, for me, it strikes as, this is how it could have been. If uh, <laughs> things didn't happen, didn't didn't happen the way they, they did. That, you know, a young actress when her career was just beginning. <laughs> career was just beginning, didn't have it snuffed out by the most horrific violence, you know, in recent history. So, I, I loved uh, the way it ended and kind of frames a lot of the stories leading up to it. Um, and it kind of just connected a little bit more with me. Yeah, I think the pacing, a lot of that has to do with it being in like four or five big chunks too, you know? Mm-hmm. And not this like, well edited, but like hypercut Tarantino mm-hmm. way that he makes some movies. Um, I do think, when I guess when I'm comparing it to Glorious, I compare it more in that way. I feel mm-hmm. like the story, like, board was probably similar. Mm-hmm. Um, not just the fictional ending in a historical film. Cool. It's a good movie. Yeah. I liked it. All right, next number three um, is going to be Brett. Chris has figured it out. <laughs> Edge reading and shit. <laughs> <laughs> you solved my word puzzle. <laughs> uh, for my number three... You know, this is a year that saw a, uh, a big end to a cinematic universe. Uh, and so, I'm only hoping that this movie, this little movie, is going to start a new one. The uh, Now Now cinematic universe is what I'm rooting for. Uh, it's The Farewell. Oh. I think the grandma from The Farewell needs her own cinematic universe where <laughs> okay. she's in movie after movie after movie. Yeah. Uh, Have you guys seen it? No. No. <laughs> He's 100% right. <laughs> Probably the most delightful character in cinema this year. I love Now Now, and I just want to hang out Now Now. I want to do the... Huh! Huh! <laughs> with Now Now. Oh, you got to scream more. Yeah, see, I need training from Now Now on how to do it. Um, I didn't realize when I started that movie how... Uh, brisk that movie is going to be it was really short like it's it's an hour and a half or so and yeah. it's it's really uh i mean i guess with the subject matter it's doing us a favor by only making it an hour and a half because the last thing we want to do in a movie about uh dealing with the news that your grandmother's gonna die is uh, wallow in that for two hours and 45 minutes that's not fun so uh uh but yeah it's a uh, it's a funny movie and mm-hmm. a really, really sweet movie more than anything. It doesn't really wallow in that tragedy much. I'd say if people are turned off or like waiting to watch it because you think it's going to be a little bit miserable, it is definitely overwhelmingly funny and joyful, but also has you know some some sadness in it. Yeah, and that's inherent given the story, the, sure. the sadness. But it's uh, it winds up mostly being just a. An exaltation of family and how you know family can be important as important as you want to make it and uh, uh, I really found it to be an extremely rewarding watch so uh, the farewell say hello to my number three (laughs) (laughs) the farewell (laughs) my number three is Midsummer. 
Uh, Ari Aster follow-up. Um, uh, talking about the contrast between Peel's first two movies, man. Ari Aster's could like literally not be more different than <laughs> the darkest movie of last year and the brightest movie of this year. Uh, I think choosing that is you know obviously brilliant for a lot of reasons. But I love that like the only scene in the dark is the scariest probably scene for me in the movie, which is the tracking shot in the beginning through the house, uh, finding her sister, uh, duct tape the. I mean, goddamn, it was just fucking awful. Um, and then the 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 camera work with the like acid trip is or shrimp trip, I guess, is just fucking great. And it was there were times when I don't think it was happening, and I thought it was, which is like. A mind fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are you making me feel this way in this movie where, you know, the the plot is like failure to deal yeah. with with grief. Um, and I do think that's like the main plot of that movie is is you know, yeah. Sometimes you need to get over shit and you just can't, and you'll let whatever it is consume you that's around. Yeah, and then she gets consumed. Uh, Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Did y'all see where he released his like first picture when he started doing that? It's just her with the with like the May Queen getup. Uh, he released his picture and it's just this like really sad, like deformed, frowny face person, and then just like <laughs> so, like flowers fucking everywhere. Uh, it looks just like the fucking movie. <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, this guy's a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the the even on like the the elderly people suicide thing. I didn't. I knew what this guy did in Hereditary, and I was like, "He ain't doing it." Yeah, he ain't doing it. At least he ain't gonna let me see it. Yeah. But now we get to see fucking all of it. Yeah, up close. Yeah. Last year we watched somebody sever their own head from their body with a fucking piano wire, and I still didn't think that this movie was going to be as yeah. brutal as that. So like a twelve-year-old girl get decapitated. Yeah. Then we saw her head, and I was just like, "Eh." Yeah. He won't show me. And then he did. A bunch of times. And she was, the, that was the thing that somehow we had one not die and it was better than the one that did. Yeah. The, well, blah. It's a great movie. <laughs> also, just because I don't think any of us have mentioned her by name yet, Florence Pugh is amazing in that movie. Had a great fucking year, Florence Pugh did. She's uh, magnificent as Paige in Fighting With My Family. Uh, and uh, something else too. Little Women just uh, right. had a chance to get nominated there for playing Amy. Uh, March. Yes. <laughs> She's got that lip quiver down in Midsommar. Yeah, yeah. Man, I was listening to an interview with her, and she said that she had to go from filming Midsummer to Little Women. with a. She f- flew directly from the set of Midsummer to film Little Women in Massachusetts because of <laughs> Greta Gerwig needed to film in winter or something. And the guy interviewing her was just like, how'd you do that? <laughs> like, think right didn't you the, need a bunch of time off? Right off the plane, did she just run and hug Greta Gerwig? <laughs> 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 she did say Greta Gerwig would be like you know how's it going are we still like on schedule or whatever because it was like real close and she would send her like selfies like with like a burning pyre behind her <laughs> yeah and it was like apparently like 110 degrees Fahrenheit where they were filming so everyone was like constantly fucking sweating through like costumes and shit yeah and so she was like it was such a delight going to Little Women <laughs> uh, I'm sure Ugh. yeah this uh, Ari Aster's like it's out of nowhere. It's fantastic. Yeah. I like that he said the next thing he was going to do like might be a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> he was just like, I need a fucking break. <laughs> He's so scared of his comedy. Yeah. yeah. And now it's me to round up the threes. 
Uh, my three, and it's been absent from everyone's list, so I know where it's going to be, but my three here, only because I've got two movies just a little bit better. This, this for me is, and I know we've talked about this before, and I'll, I'll say the title of the movie, it's Marriage Story. But this, to me, more than any other year, if you could have let me call three movies tied for number one, I would have appreciated the mercy. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm with you there. And so, Marriage Story gets the number three spot, and it's kind of like a like an honorary bronze uh, that should be cast in gold. Um, but, because I think it's a fantastic fucking movie, and it is acted perfectly, and... I mean, Driver and Johansson are incredible. Um, <clears throat> all like the supporting performances are are great. Laura Dern, uh, Ray Liotta, yeah, Alan oh, Alda, like and Merritt Weaver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's really good in that. Yeah. Like, just fucking fantastic. The story told. I mean, we we always love talking about, um, or I love thinking about, you know, telling a romance from different perspectives, mm-hmm. from different points of perspective within the relationship. Um, and this movie that kind of focuses on being a better family man or woman, uh, despite no longer being, uh, you know, forced to be family anymore, I just really appreciate and think is, uh, commendable. And I think this is just a fantastic fucking movie. Yeah. Well said. It is all those things. Um, who's the mom? Do you remember her name from Airplane? Oh, um, Julie Haggerty? Yeah, Haggerty. She's also great, man. That <clears throat> scene where, like, right after she gets done being told she can't be friends with him anymore. <laughs> she kind of sneaks out, <laughs> yeah. like, through the back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's great. Especially because, like, I know some of us have been there before with, like, exes even, where, like, the parents still, like, love you. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> you like them. And it's kind of the way it is. It's like, I feel like this movie does the way it is so good. Mm-hmm. Just, everything is just like, yeah, it's, it fucking sucks. Gotta deal with it. Yep. So everybody just tells Charlie. Everyone knows what winning a genius grant's like. We've all done it. Yeah. So that's the way it is sometimes. <laughs> yep. Sometimes you get sometimes you get a million dollars and you gotta spend it. <laughs> sometimes you're a tall girl, sometimes you win a genius grant. <laughs> We've all divorced Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> We're done with our number threes, so now Brent is gonna introduce number twos. Well, stop me if you've heard this one. Marriage story. Hey, that's my number two as well. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. CJ and Brent's list continues to mirror one another. Yes. Well, well uh, Brent, who had no control over his list, this is kind of... <laughs> now I know where he cribbed it from. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw the list TJ gave me, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Dolomite. Didn't make it. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, no, it's... I, Chris got it right. It's a good movie. It's, it's perfectly acted. It is, and it, it really, truly is perfectly acted. Just from in every beat of the movie, and it, I, I can't think of any any part of that movie that could be done better. Um, it's so efficiently told too. Yes. Yeah. There's like, there's nothing. Even the song, even the scene that I think is drawn out really uncomfortably long. The Adam Driver song where he's singing yeah. karaoke. And he's like the curtain has fallen, and like he sang his one verse, but then like he's about to sit down, but then he gets back up and not even really sing songing, but kind of speaks the lyrics. And it's so fucking uncomfortable, but it's just like the perfect thing to happen then. Mm. And that feels like every every bit of the movie keeps seeming like the perfect thing to happen then. And I just I think it's just great. Yeah. Not not to just keep name dropping the the director's roundtable, but I loved when they were like. Did, 
did you improvise at all on your on your movie? No, Bob Black, and he was just like, no. <laughs> yeah. Everything was in the script. And I've seen interviews with Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver where they're like, oh, any room for improvisation? They're like, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> they're like, they, we he would shoot it multiple times, and you could like emote differently, but that's it. Yeah, I actually thought the beginning of that movie, and I, and I think there's going to be a lot of focus uh, on the scene of the two of them in the hotel room. Um, well, maybe it's not the, the, apartment. Apartment. Yeah, in the apartment. The big fight, yeah. right? The big fight in his apartment. Yeah, they're the sad dad apartment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. It feels like a hotel room. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I actually think the beginning of that movie is one of my favorite starts to a movie just ever, which is they're saying just beautiful things about one another, and mm-hmm. then you get to that moment where she's like, "Yeah, I'm not reading mine." Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's like I want to read mine. Yeah. 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 The idea of like love letters never sent. Yeah. Like is that movie that really part it guts poignant. me from the beginning. Yeah. And just finding out you're in a uh, you know, separation counselor's office rather than, you know, not really knowing where you're at, witnessing these beautiful scenes with the beautiful Randy Newman music mm-hmm. really uh really twists it on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think you get great uh knowledge about those two characters from just the fact that he wants to talk and she doesn't. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a brilliant choice in story. Mm-hmm. Uh, not because like she sucks and he doesn't, but he kind of wants to show off a little bit, you yeah. know? Yeah. Uh, and be like, I did the homework. You know what I mean? I'm right in this fight. Like, yeah. that's the way he talks, you know? And it's also really performative of both of them. He's the writer and she's the actress. Mm-hmm. He wants to read his words and she wants to storm out. Like, right. that's just, like, perfect Yeah, for she brings the drama. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what she's always done. Just a fantastic creation of characters by, by Baumbach. The, the, the fact that they're both wrong and right so often throughout the movie is just... Yep. Great. That the only thing that you want to root for is reconciliation, and yep. not even like love between them to reform, but just for things to be okay. You want it to yeah. be on the other side of whatever this is. Yeah, yeah. It's a uh, just beautiful filmmaking, perfectly cast too. Because I think the I think when they wrote the character of his his uh, his lawyer, I think they wrote just get an Alan Alda type <laughs> to play this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do think we'd be talking more about how Scarlett Johansson's performance is like one of the best of the year if she wasn't in the room with Driver the whole time. And the same for Ray Liotta and Alan Alda mm-hmm. uh, if they weren't across from Laura Dern who may have had a career performance which is crazy for her. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's... it's, like it's she's, she's getting like... Is she that lock for you? I think she is for me for the Oscars. Yeah. I think I mean, she's running... Running far away with it and super yeah. deserves it. I mean, between Renata and this role as the attorney, I think Laura Dern's just like having a like snap, snap, snap moment like just really good, mm-hmm. yeah. Dernissance, yeah. The Dernissance, <laughs> quite never a really whole maneuver, yeah. Right. <laughs> you little Star Wars. <laughs> you little Star. Here's a dollar. Go see a Star Wars. <laughs> I'm going to take a beat to sing the praises of Midsummer here as well. Yeah. Um, this is my number two movie. It's I think just. Uh, uh, remarkable. Uh, it's when I saw it in two pieces, I didn't think so. I saw marriage of my top three, I saw marriage story first and thought that this was a, a long, steep hill to climb. And then I saw two movies after it, and I was just like uh, mad, <laughs> mad that I do something that makes me rank things right. in front of other things. <laughs> um, and <clears throat> Midsummer is just incredible. I think that that it, where we have Caitlin Deaver and where we have 
uh, Ana de Armas this year, and I forget, you guys mentioned, David, you mentioned the character from uh, Wild Rose. Jesse Buckley. Buckley. Yeah. yeah, Jesse Buckley. Uh, you, you have to have Florence Pugh. Yeah. Um, in what is both like a really emotionally gripping performance in it's like over the top like fucking like screaming and crying and collapsing and shouting uh you also have like really subtle observation from her uh not even in the trip scenes alone but just from like just watching her face as she's taking in the like literal absurdity happening around her i think she's just like like the a phenomenal vehicle to drive forward a story that uh, I think with uh, would be mishandled in in other people's responsibility. Uh, she's just she's just so great. Um, her uh, her boyfriend in it, whose name I don't know, um, he's a, oh. a a young actor as well. Jack Rayner. Yes. Yes. Uh, I think he's incredible. He has a thankless job. To kind of both be the bad guy and the most unfortunate victim of this uh, group of tourists kind of stumbling upon this uh, murder-suicide festival. Um, and I think that he's um, just just really great. Yeah. Um, definitely one of the most uncomfortable sex scenes of the year. Um, in a year where Bombshell came out, that's saying a lot. Um, you know, this guy is basically like drugged and led to a cabin and it's just really kind of a calamity of horrors to watch unfold before you and nothing is like particularly frightening about it but it is all just so unsettling that I'm going to be thinking about it for a long time visually the movie sticks with you for sure yeah oh yeah that's sexy too I thought it was quite sexy. Quite fetching. I want an assistant. Yeah, like, can I, is there like a Midsommar Craigslist where I can, uh, like, advertise for, I just need a thruster. A booster. A little lady. You got it. An old lady. Hands clenched on on my butt and just pushing me. Doing all the work for me. Uh, A little uh, Florence Pugh, like, anecdote this thing I came across with her and uh, Emma Watson and uh, Sarsha Ronan, like, all stayed in this, like, hotel together. Uh, while well, they were filming Little Women, and they were talking about her film in Midsummer, and she was saying, like, Emma Watson was like, so you can cry on cue. And she was like, I can't. I had to picture literally everybody I've ever loved in a coffin uh, the whole time, and it was just, like, sad the whole movie. Uh, and they were like, oh, well, that works out. Like, maybe I'll try that. And Florence Pugh was like, Emma, please promise me you won't do it. It sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked for, like, three months. It was horrible. The, the guy, what's his name? Jack Trainer? is that what you said? Yeah. Rainer. Yeah. Rainer. Rainer. He, uh, He's in Sing Street. <laughs> oh, nice. He, uh, I did think it was, for him to be the douchebag boyfriend, you know, kind of, uh, I thought he was extremely well cast because he looks just like Lane Kiffin to me. <laughs> <laughs> and so when her choice at the end came down to you know, I was like, yeah, I'd let Lane Giffen die too. <laughs> of course. Of course. <laughs> I just love that. It's like, and here's Guard. He's just a guy who's just here, so he could die. Or like, here's this like fucking objectively like bad person in your in your mind. It's like a subjective, but yeah. And it's like, okay, well, uh, dickhead's dying. It's like, <laughs> hey, good call. Yeah. <laughs> Midsummer's number two for me. Yeah, almost. It came on, uh, I think, Amazon Prime today. So if I was trying to like do a last-minute entry... I feel like people should I have to have... pay to watch that movie so like, they make the decision. Yeah. Yeah. They don't like accidentally watch it. But in top ten lists, I'd heard so much that it was like, it's so punishing, I'll never watch it again. 
you know, am I really going to catch that at work? <laughs> like on my lunch break? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm stressed out enough. <laughs> I, I, so would I also, didn't get to catch it in time because I was yeah, waiting, for, waiting for it to be free. Check it out because you like movies, but it is not. It is a movie I love and would not recommend to everybody. I, I, w- I would also say in kind of like a heady full of myself way, it is a movie that I would want you to uh, watch and see. Like to actually like take the time to choose to watch it and like, like enjoy it. Um, oh. In a movie that's pretty horrifying, but like sit with it. Mm-hmm. And don't just like have it on in the background or whatever, because it is like he does some fun stuff with the camera that I don't think makes the movie better, but will you know make you watching it more enjoyable if you watch it on up TV. Yeah. Also, since it just came up, I, I do want to throw out that that none of I don't think any of us saw Little Women, right? Not yet. Nah, no. The shit, movie doesn't want us to see it's it. It's probably one of like the highly most highly rated movies of the year that none of us got to see. Yeah. 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 All right, so I'm closing out number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number two is Marriage Story. Hey. Yeah, it was my number one for most of the year until just recently. Um, another one on all of our lists. Nice. Yeah, nice. Um, Deserves it. Don't know what else to say about it other than uh, it's a fucking great movie. It does uh, one of my favorite things of like a small story, perfectly told, and I do believe it is perfectly told. Yeah. Um, Dishonor watched it after I did, and I heard the fight happening, and I went in just so I could watch the Adam Driver breakdown after he says the I wish you would be dead mm-hmm. thing. And it's just so, like, I've been that angry and upset with myself at the same time before. And that is the that is how, like, you emote when that happens. <laughs> you just, like, collapse and scream. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. insanely good. It's uh, electric in those big moment, moments, but also heartbreaking in a lot of small moments, too. I think of him doing the Halloween, and it's just, like, the shitty Halloween. Mm-hmm. The liquor just, store. Yeah. It's just yeah. so heartbreaking. But it's also very funny. Mm-hmm. really brings a lot out of that story. Kind of every, every little emotion right there. Yeah. But Marriage Story, my number two as well. Somebody I saw, like, a shitty kind of not a shitty review of it but a shitty review of the line where he says like you should have been mad that I laughed with her mm-hmm. not that I fucked her uh, and they were like this is what's wrong with like man is this a movie kind of thing and I was like yeah that's that's the point yeah. <laughs> you saw the movie too good job yeah I don't think anybody's watching that and being like she should be mad or not right and they're like what the fuck is this guy talking about <laughs> doesn't make any sense David I'm going to break convention and I'm going to say that you should lead the number ones yes Yep, I think uh, I'm, I'm getting that. <laughs> um, well, my number one is uh, Asian movie. <laughs> is that uh, like from the makers of Scary Movie? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Um, yeah, I can't figure out a great way to uh, make this funny or dramatic, but it's The Farewell. It ends up being my number one. Kind of surprised me how it, uh, it kind of snuck up there after I've been thinking about it a lot. Um, yeah, Nai Nai is probably the best character in movies all year for me. And it is such an affirmation that if you have living grandparents or family members that are older, you know, just take the time that, you know, I never took and try to learn about their life before you. Um, at the, at the wedding, this isn't spoiling much, but there's a detail where there's some Chinese government officials there. And they're smoking cigars, and Nai Nai is just hanging out with them, like, doing shots. And she was in the army, and she took a bullet. 
<laughs> yes. It's just such like a surprising thing that, uh, you know, you can learn about people like that. Um, the character wants to, not to spoil too much, but the character wants is, you know, stuck between or caught between being Asian American and being Asian and not really belonging to either. Mm. Wanting to stay in America or maybe staying in China with some of her family. Um, you can definitely feel the pull of wanting to stay in China just because everything that goes on there, like I wanted to stay there when it would go back to America. I was like, I want to go back to China. That's kind of the pull the main character has. And it's the pull of uh, family for her, which is like the biggest thing in the movie. And it's the draw of not just your favorite family members, but even the annoying shitty ones. You still have this pull towards because you have this this ancestry and in China it's a more literal um, more literal respect for that ancestry and uh, yeah, it's just really well done even the cousins that are kind of shitheads or the uncle who is you know drinks too much and, and is kind of bloviating you know you're still drawn to wanting to spend time with him in the movie um, it's a beautiful movie it's funny it's also, uh, without you guys seeing it, I think it has the best movie, or best uh, ending of any movie this year for me. Uh, a great ending. The music uh, that plays in the last scene of that movie is, mm -hmm. is fantastic. And then the the song that plays over the credits is, is incredible. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I really yeah. am. I've been looking forward to it for a while. It got to be that like Oscar time where I'm like, I need to see movies that I know will get nominated. And as soon as nominations come out, hopefully mm -hmm. I, I want to be able to watch it on yep. Monday night. Um, and if not, I'll watch it on February 10th. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll stress also what David said earlier, I completely agree with, which is that it's not... It, it, it sounded, felt like more of a daunting watch to press it, to press play on mm -hmm. than it wound up being. It awesome. was really, really enjoyable. Fun. Yeah. My number one of the year, The Farewell. Cool. I think all three of us have picked Dumbo. Yeah, well, I picked I picked The Lion King. I think Brent has Aladdin. Okay. We just have three different Disney live action films, right? Yeah, um, yeah I get the joke that you were trying to make with uh, well, whose turn is it to talk? Uh, Say me or I will is, talk over them. It's TJ. <laughs> ah, technically, I don't have anything to say. <laughs> Introduce Glass for us. <laughs> yeah. I also scrolled through my list. I was like, uh, Dumbo, that's a good one. Murder mystery starring Adam Sandler. <laughs> it's not my bottom five. Uh, not my bottom five either. <laughs> Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, I believe, hit number one for for the for the trio that's left. Yeah, for the people who went to a theater this year. <laughs> my biggest regret of my top ten by a nautical mile is not seeing this movie in time. Yeah. Um, uh, pretty perfect. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it might be one of the, if it's not the first, uh, uh, there's only like two or three in existence of foreign films that I've watched where I'm like, could just constantly tell that the acting was amazing. Uh, I did not need to know what word they were saying and where the emphasis was. Uh, it was just all physical acting and it was just so good from the old man in the basement to, you know, the the dad of the, the patriarch of the poor family. So the whole movie, I love the way, you know, Bong Joon-ho has always blurred genre lines yeah. really well. Also really boldly. Like, really, I mean, he'll, he'll make a, a movie that's a comedy that's also a thriller about people eating other people to stay alive. Right. And stuff like that. And uh, this is a, it's 
it has the feel of a heist thriller to me for the first half of the movie, and you think that's what the whole movie is going to be, kind of, and then, and then it's you reach sort of an endpoint, and you know that there's more movie left. Yeah, and that because that story is kind of it's like, well, the heist got pulled off, you know, and then it's like, what's going to happen next? And it's sort of lingering there, and then there's that knock at the door, or you or the. Uh, the ring, the ring on the the, the camera, and yeah. and you're just like, oh no, what's what's how's it all gonna fall apart? This house right. of cards that these this family has built, and boy, it falls apart in spectacular fashion. Yeah, I mean, I've talked with you all about. It. I know Chris said it was terrifying, and I laughed so hard in the theater. But the flashback to when the boy saw the ghost mm-hmm. uh, is like straight up like ripped out of the Grudge or the Ring or Ringu or mm-hmm. you know those Korean like ghost movies that were so big 20 years ago uh, when you when it's really just an old man who's like gonna go get an apple oh no there's <laughs> somebody there the the whole living room escape scene too is just just immaculate to me oh yeah it's it's so funny with the one with the, the parents on the couch too. oh god like so uncomfortable by the way the, the mom in that movie is one of the funniest characters of the year it wins the movie for me yeah. she's so the mom of the rich family right yeah the, the target. Yeah. Yeah. She is uh, just hilarious the way she's so easily manipulated by her fears. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's Bong Joon-ho and it's, you know, it's it feels like other Bong Joon-ho movies, but it just feels more perfectly done, I think, than ever for me. My, my favorite part of it, and I think probably the most Bong Joon-ho aspect of it to me, is uh, The Rock. Uh, it's, you know, the, 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 the son of the poor family gets gifted this rock, which is supposedly this thing magical that his like super smart, like college buddy, who's like actually trying on his exams, gives him and tells him like, Oh, it is for all this good fortune. And the way that he obsesses over this thing and just carries it from place to place, this like most cumbersome, most awful fucking thing to, it's just a slab of just like bullshit. And it's just like, it is so Bong Joon-ho thumbing his nose at the audience, going like, you can search for meaning, it's here, and it's not in the places you think, and just like, fucking, this is it. Carry carry this burden with you if you want to, or leave it behind, which I think is a theme with a lot of the movies I really enjoyed this year, and just the way that he just so, like, so intentionally does it, I, like, within the first, like, I mean, that's that is the triggering moment of the movie. Is him getting this rock, and then him wanting to save the rock's life from the flood is just like, mm-hmm. it's it's you know it's one of his one of the only possessions he brings with him. Yeah, from their shitty apartment. Yeah, I think it's just like it's it's hilarious. Um, you know, genre defined, yes, uh, but I think the best parts of it being the the dark humor in it, like definitely. Yeah, but I love this movie. I'm glad I was right about Bong Joon Ho. Fucking a, a decade and a half ago. <laughs> it, how many years has it been since the host? Host was two thousand five, I think. I think so. Fourteen. So. so fourteen years. Boy, it feels like he's aged about sixty years <laughs> since he played. You know, well, he was playing young too. Like he, where he, he wasn't necessarily playing young in the Song host, Kong Ho, but he was playing right. uh, just a doofus of a character in mm-hmm. the host, and so he had he basically was dressed like a 14 year old that mm. entire movie it's my my favorite thing about this is the same actor him, right yeah. yeah yeah his name is song kung ho right mm-hmm. uh my favorite thing about his performance in both movies 
is the intentional idiocy that has that triggering moment where in the host it's uh um late in the movie with the uh with the concreted sign yeah uh fighting the monster on the riverbank uh, after he's already blown it trying to save his uh granddaughter or whatever relation daughter favorite you know mm-hmm. family member is and then in this one it's the uh it's him it's the the smell and it's both of those where it's like, oh, here's this guy who's like vapid and vacuous. And then it's like, oh, no, he's paying attention the whole time. He's just quietly paying attention yeah. and just has a, a blank expression on his face. And I think that he just does that role of assumed idiot really well. And everything I've seen him in, uh, he it's, it's always a fun heel turn for him. Mm-hmm. I really like that actor. I think that he should be recognized somewhere. I'm sure he wins lots of awards in Korea, but yeah, he's got a chance to get nominated. Still, mm-hmm. that'd be great. I think the maid does too, like an outside shot. The first maid, um, but yeah, it's uh, I, I love. I think I'm the only one who watched the Golden Globes live, but I love Bong Joon Ho's acceptance speech for Best International Feature, which is pretty much just like, hey, everybody, once you get over like having to read a one inch line of dialogue. You can see a bunch of awesome movies. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Pretty much like mock America in his speech. So that's like the only hurdle. Yeah. He's like, there's only one difference. You just have to read a one-inch line of dialogue. <laughs> it's not that hard. Um, that was pretty great. I did like that the Parasite crew came. Like the whole cast and him were all there at the table. Nice. Um, it's pretty awesome. Well, you guys make me really jelly. I got to see that movie so bad. I'm such a fan of Bong Joon-ho and yeah. him he's always been a master of balancing tone and I hear it's just got everything you'd want humor it's a thriller it's, it's tragic it's, I just can't wait for it yeah, yeah it makes it where you don't know where the movie's going yeah mm-hmm. yep you're, and as much as we've talked about watching, it you're not thinking about it as much as we've talked about it you, you still don't know from what we've said what this movie does yeah. y'all know my attitude towards, towards spoilers yep this is the one movie where I haven't even seen a trailer for it I didn't know what it was about. When I went to talk. Yeah. Yeah. That was really rewarding too. When yeah. I, I went to see it in the theater, and I had, I had absolutely no clue what the movie was about. Yeah. I wish I could have seen it so you guys could have gone more in depth, but you guys masterfully balanced <laughs> it. Yeah, it's fun stuff. Well, let's have everyone run down their top ten real quick. I know it gets kind of convoluted, a little messy in there with co choices and with uh, the snake order, but just so that we can kind of. Uh, fills through the lists. Uh, because I'm going to do the outro, I'm going to talk first now. Uh, f- descending from 10, I have Detective Pikachu at 10, 9, Irishman, 8, Us, 7, Booksmart, 6, John Wick, Chapter 3, Parabellum. I'm only going to say that full title. <laughs> 5, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, 4, Joker, 3, Marriage Story, 2, Midsummer, and 1, Parasite. Really like how a lot of our lists shaped out of the top 5. Mine are out. Starting at 10 Head Down, Book Smart. Brittany Runs a Marathon, Joker, Toy Story 4, The Irishman at 6, and the top 5, Us, Knives Out, Midsummer, Marriage Story, Parasite. Uh, number 10 for me was Apollo 11, Parabellum. Number 9, The Last Black Man in San Francisco, Parabellum. Number 8, The Irishman. Number 7, Toy Story 4. Number 6, Midsommar. Number 5, Us. Number 4, Knives Out. Number 3, The Farewell. Number 2, Marriage Story. Number 1, Parasite. And I'm 10, Hustlers. 9, I Lost My Body. 8, The Souvenir. 7, Wild Rose. 6, The Two Popes. 5, Booksmart. 4, Us. 3, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. 
two marriage story, one farewell. Good lists, guys. Nice. You had two more popes than all the rest of us combined. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, that's it. Uh, we'll be talking Oscars probably for the next four weeks. Because nominations are going to be out by the time you listen to this. But we appreciate you coming and listening to what our... Uh, what what the, the, the talkies are. I don't know what we would even call the parasite this year. But, you know... Every year there's one movie where it seems like it's the, the talky talk favorite, um, and this year it sounds like it's Parasite. So This is a better guide for movies you should go see than the Oscar list that will come out next week. We have a hell of a fucking variety. Uh, there's a diversity in choices with what we've all said. Um, it's the only big movies we no one has seen is Little Women, and has anyone seen 1917? No. And Ford vs. Ferrari. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Didn't make my list. Okay. Yeah, I think 1917 came out today. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no one I didn't make it. <laughs> we also don't have, I know in some lists we've got Judy, The Lighthouse, um, Harriet, and um, the other, well, there's another one. There's another one that we're getting an actor from. I don't remember what it is. But, yeah, so there are a few that we just can't see. Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, too. I mean, I saw Lincoln yeah, Jones and Bombshell. Didn't make my list. I've, I've got gems. Is pretty close. I've seen Beautiful Day. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. We 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 do our best. Yeah. Got it covered. Yeah. yeah. And we do it for you. This has been Talkie Talk podcast for MediaBias.com. You can find us on Facebook at Movies Bias, TV Bias, Games Bias. You can send us a tweet at the Media Bias. Shoot us an email at MediaBiasGmail.com. Gmail. Rate us on iTunes or your favorite pod snatching app. Give us five stars or Snatch. better. If you can give us six stars, then we'll give you one back. Uh, you we don't can, need it. We want to give a special thanks to the intro music by Willow Walkers. Willow! And special thanks to the outro Boo music Rifa. by Boo Rifa. Boo Rifa! <laughs> <laughs> thanks. Hey, Boo Rifa's playing. Uh, March, Smithsville Bar. Check it out online. Tickets are cheaper ahead of time than they are then. Thanks, bye. Thanks, DJ. Thanks, David. Thanks, Brent. Boy. Kicking rocks. Down old dusty roads Small town slowpokes Long time ago Kicking out records of all the things that I know All 